0: Hello everyone and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on March the 22nd of 2017. I'm Nick with Chris and we're going to talk about manga and try to forget about how awful Iron Fist was. No, I can't never forget about how terrible that show was. We were just talking about it before the show and it was like, no, you don't understand. It's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, the uh, best, the best compliment mind? I hear about it is, uh, watchable is like the, the best <laughs> way I keep hearing it. But, uh, Nick, I I have a a small uh, moment to share with you. Have you ever had, like, one of those moments where you're like, I am extremely lame and a very big nerd, at the depths of which I haven't quite realized until this moment?
0: Right, yeah. I've had had a few of those, yes. But I tend to be very in touch with how big a loser I am in general. So, not a whole lot, but yes. Yeah,
1: I, I had a moment like that. It's not as much the shame part of it, but a moment where I was like, huh, that actually caused this sort of reaction. So have you ever had a moment where you've realized something and even though no one else is in the room with you, just the, the sheer realization of it is enough to cause you to have a vocal reaction to it
2: when mm, you realize yes. this?
1: It happens a lot in like TV shows when somebody's like, I left the fireplace on or whatever. I guess you don't leave fireplaces on unless it's electronic. But but the idea being usually it's like the exposition you have to kind of put out so the audience knows what's happening. It doesn't happen in real life as often because you don't generally talk to yourself like that. But I literally had a moment with that this past week, where I was I was making some uh, some tea, and I was uh, staying there waiting for it. And I don't know what synapses must have fired to cause this for ha- to happen. But I literally said out loud, "Oh my God, I don't own Viridian City." <laughs> I was like, I have all these great songs, but I don't own "On the Road to Viridian City." And I immediately purchased that song, and I was like, on one hand, thank God I have this now, but on the second hand, that realization was enough to prompt me to say this out loud to nobody, as though this was a startling, like, oh my God, I have cancer, or like, oh my God, it was, uh you know, uh, Kaiser Soze was Kevin Costner all along!
0: for a late 90s movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that the last time I had a reaction like that, and it wasn't like me having just a general realization to something, it was at least, you know, a reaction to external stimuli, uh-huh. which was, uh, I, I work the night shift where I work, and, uh, we've got some, we've got some, a couple of TVs in a few, couple of different common areas, and usually we just have, like, the news on, but whenever I'm there, if, like someone has put Fox News on and just like fuck that I don't want to look at water's stupid punchable face and I'll change it to something else um, and uh, so literally I got I, I got there and so I was like oh, okay great they've got Fox News on the TV whatever and then oh, so you know get I get, you know I'm going off and doing stuff and getting ready to, to work and I look into a different room and they've got Fox News in that room too and I'm like why <laughs> just screaming why? Just say I just say out loud, why is Fox news moves on both fucking TVs? <laughs> to no one, just talking to myself, like Jesus Christ. Conservative ass fucking co workers their shit taste news.
1: <laughs> I guess that's the, the diversity of Florida. You get all you get all types down there, right?
0: We do get all types because uh yeah, there's a lot of young people and also a lot of old people, and there's a lot of white people, but there's also a lot of immigrants, so yeah. That's correct.
1: So you get all flavors. You just feel that all those flavors don't need to be represented by both TVs with Fox News <laughs> on them. <at> once.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Like, I get it. You. you I get it. You, you like Trump for some reason. <laughs> well,
1: I just want to note, if you're ever cruising down in Harrisburg and you hear Viridian City blaring <laughs> out of a car, <laughs> you're going to know exactly who it is. Because I was super stoked to get it.
0: And then you'll also feel like you're on the road to Viridian City.
1: I do. I forgot how much longer the extended version is, you're too. You're on your way. You're on your way.
0: Okay. Um, so getting away from Pokemon, because it's not one of our hour-long discussions of Pokemon adventures this time. Uh, let's talk about some manga. We've got some jump starts to get through, as well as all of our usual stuff. Like, all of our usual stuff. We've got oh, Astro again. So, for, we're going to be sitting here for a while. Talking about manga. Except World Trigger. Except World Trigger. Sad. Just wanted to be known. I saw, I think that it was this week you posted, it like, every week I look in the back and jump, <laughs> <laughs> hoping that there's news. <laughs> all right. It's, no. like,
1: immediately just flip right to the end. Is World Trigger coming back? No. All right. I guess I'll read the issue. <laughs> I don't know why I
0: bother. All right, let's begin with My Hero Academia, uh, number 130, listen to the truth. So, last time we got uh, Mirio and Izuku's big confrontation with Overhaul, the leader of the sect of Yakuza, that uh, they were sent to investigate by Sir Nighteye. Um We catch up a little bit with Sir Nighteye. Um They're waiting outside of a uh, Compound, and... Uh, where they're kind of holed up in and they can't really get inside. So, uh, bubble girl brings up though, that they, she's gotten contact from, uh, million L million. And that, uh, yeah, they just fucking ran into overhaul in the middle of the goddamn road. So they catch up on the street corner and exchange a bunch of information. Um, so tonight I, uh, actually takes the blame for what's happened because he says, I mean I should I should have used my quirk on you guys so that I would have foreseen that you would have actually come across uh, him if I sent you on this mission. Um So (laughs) bizarrely enough Deku then says he didn't seem all that terrifying. Were, were, were we looking at the same guy that they encountered in the dark alley? I,
1: he's like, he didn't explode anybody at all. And if, I mean, if he had done <laughs> that, he'd have been terrifying. But since he didn't, kind of a slow guy. Yeah, you got to get to know him, but you know.
0: I'm sure that if you give him a chance, he'd be perfectly terrifying, you know.
1: Yeah, you know. Just open
0: your mind to the possibilities.
1: Stop being prejudiced.
0: Don't prejudice. judge a book by his frickin' Plague Doctor mask.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you get past the Plague Doctor mask and the clear child abuse... Yeah, it seems like a pretty decent up and up guy. Like I think I saw like a a, a ordained reverend card in his wallet. You know, while he was was flipping, trust them. (laughs) While you were flipping, while he was flipping through for all the band aids, he's not giving his kid. (laughs) And you know, I mean, if he has that, he's a man of faith.
0: He's got got a world's he's got a world's greatest dag bug. That means you know.
1: I mean it's still the price tag on it to indicate he probably just stole it, but you know. Uh
0: so Sernai so launches into a little bit of background information that we already know about about uh about overhaul Chisaki and uh how, you know, he came across a band of robbers, uh and uh the only he basically put a stop to them and uh they destroyed the money, supposedly. They don't know that for certain, but yeah, Bubble Girl says they apparently still uh, burned up all the stolen money, and the police decided there was nothing about the incident worth investigating. Hmm. Interesting. So, some guys got beaten up by someone who was not an identified hero. That is weird. I don't know. That's, uh, hmm. So, independently of that, the Night I agency decided, no, this does deserve investigating, and so they started to look into everything, um, and uh, so Mirio brings up, oh, hey, we've got more information, actually, that we have to report, see, Chisaki has this daughter, and Deku says, yeah, her name's Eri and she was covered in bandages, and she looks scared, and so I tried to save her, I just wish I could have done something to protect her, and Night Eye looks around at him and says, enough of that arrogant thinking. Haste makes waste. Go after him half and he'll slip through our fingers. You're not quite so special as to be able to save whom you want when you want. The world is not so accommodating that you can act the hero because you feel like it. So apparently Eye has, yeah, seen fit to give Deku a chance to prove himself, but uh he's not really gonna lay off of them, and uh doesn't look
1: doesn't seem like Mike, so he's much. a
0: crazy big fan. Nah. Um Niedai sends Mirio and Deku back to the office, and, uh, that's it. Um he's, uh, doesn't do anything else, and so we just kinda do a time skip to the next week. And, uh, we see a little bit of stuff go- happening around the class. Uh, Bakugo and Todoroki are covered in scrapes and bruises from the special, uh, training course that they are ha- having to run. Um Bakugo, Seems very upset that people are gossiping about him. Which, I guess that's understandable. Um and one of the things that stood out to me the most about this entire chapter, you can, it's not even really a big thing, because it's not given a lot of space in the uh, chapter, but Ida says, class is about to get, begin, where are Uraka and you, But while he's doing it, while basically going, like, what's It's this big, huge motion that he's making, and I have no idea. Because he's got blur lines on both of his arms, and I'm not really sure what he's doing.
1: At first, I thought maybe he was, like, knocking stuff over, like, in anger. Like, where are they? And I was like, wow, that's so weird for, like, the class president to be doing that. But then he's not. So he's just like I don't know. He's interpretive dancing his anger away, I guess, or frustration. I, I don't know. <laughs> Why are they here? <laughs> he's just, he's like, you know what'll really make me feel better if I JoJo pose.
0: <laughs> um, the says that they've got excused absences, and Jiro says that uh, Kirishima is missing. And uh, they don't say uh, where they are, uh, notably. There's no explanation whatsoever given out about it. Um, instead, a couple of people just kind of crowd around Deku and start bothering him. Minato says, Hey, how's
2: the work study, Midori- Midorky? <laughs>
0: Midor- Midork study. How's the work study, Midork study? i made right
2: around there. Well, oh... You okay. really working with some chick in a perfect costume? Oh, hell Yeah! <laughs>
1: You know, it was kind of, like, skipped over, but you do have to give him credit. There is a massive amount of underboob in Bubble Girl's costume.
0: That is a lot of underboob. <laughs>
1: it, it is astonishing when you see it from that angle. You're like, all right.
0: That enough. seems like it might very well be something, a rumor that Mineta would actually hear about. Not in terms of just him looking into it because he sees women everywhere, but that I think that people you know, that girl's, like, really showing a lot of, like, here space, you know?
1: She's like, uh, for some reason, she just doesn't, I guess she's got tape, or I don't know, maybe her powers are, that's, like, her ability, like, my nipples are, are like, adhesive glue, so it doesn't matter.
0: Maybe uh, Sir Nighteye demands that she expose that much of her torso so that he can more easily tickle her, which is an entire other concern of mine.
1: You know, I didn't think of it until you just said it. But I would not be shocked if that's a legitimate answer for as to why. <laughs> Speaking of which, tangent, but I just watched a documentary on HBO. Okay. It's called Tickled. And it's initially uh-huh. the premise is going to be about like this thing called like the uh Tickling Grant or Tickling Endurance Championships or something like that, or the Tickling Endurance League or something along those lines. And the documentary guy wants to like take a look at it He's like yeah, it seems kinda interesting. I'll do a documentary on it. So he, like, tries to, like, message the group. And I guess he's, like, a well-known um, filmmaker, and he's also openly gay. And they send back this response. It's like, the World Tickling Endurance Contest will have no association with a known homosexual documentary worker. So he's like, Whoa. All, right. all right. So now you've prompted me to have to look into this. And it's it starts off just being like, yeah, let's see what this thing's about. And then becomes this grand blackmail conspiracy of this tickling ring that has guys like go into it, then blackmails them with the video and threatens them if they ever come out that they'll assault all their like all their coworkers and employers with like this person is a known gay fetish tickle person and Whoa. it's it's insane. It's something that takes like a thousand to one like or like zero to one eighty flip like almost immediately like this is absurd. Like the levels it keeps going to. <laughs> so now I'm always like a little skeptical when I see any tickling fetish out there, I'm like, there's a darkness to this.
0: I mean, there are, there are some people that, you know, there are certain like approaches to fetishes that are just way weirder than others. You know, it's, it's like that thing where, you know, people have just this kind of built in like uh, perception of, For example, furries, when in fact there is like an entire spectrum for how people treat it. But yeah, if your reaction to, I would like to make a documentary film about you is to go, no, we don't need any perverts here.
1: (laughs) That, that's the thing you'll get into is like, it's, if you ever watch it, it's just the person running this, like, group is insane and (laughs) like vehemently, and all the videos seem to be, it seems to solely be dudes getting tickled. So it's definitely like a defense mechanism too, because it's all like as you'll find out, like it's okay. it's, yeah, it's all a conspiracy to get these videos for their own private tickle collection. So clearly there's got to be some level of that to this, but it, it's it's insane. Like I tried to interview people, and almost everyone was too afraid to speak to me about this. It's like this, it's absurd.
0: Listen, man, they've got swarms of torture you don't even know about. <laughs>
1: You almost forget it's about tickling after a while because you're just like, "Wait, what's happening now? What's this dude doing?" But anyway, Myer Academia, go see Tickled HBO. Uh, you can get it for free if you have HBO Go right now. It's uh, interesting. Uh,
0: Deku get is distracted throughout the day uh, of attending class and going through training because uh, he's so perturbed about all of the things that uh, he's experienced at the Night Eye Agency from, you know, just being looked down upon, the secrets that uh, he hasn't been informed of, and, of course, encountering Eri and Overhaul. And Aizalo uh, eventually gets to the point where he's just like, okay, if you can't, you know, study here, then I'm just going to pull you out of training for the day. So just forget it, you know. And uh, Deku goes to the teacher's lounge uh, looking for All Might. Uh, and um, there's... <sighs> What I don't know what this. Oh, okay, that's what he's referring to, because uh, Midnight shows up and she's like strike. She's basically doing the what? What's that freaking movie called? The Oh, basically the Crossing instinct. and Uncrossing. Yeah, Basic, basic instinct. instinct. She's kind. Of, she's got kind of doing the precursor to that with her <clears throat> legs crossed over each other, and uh, I think ectoplasm. Uh, what's his name? Yeah is like what, what are you doing that post for i just haven't done it in a while <laughs> that's it fair enough uh, but uh she informs deku that uh he's all might is actually out jogging he started training for some reason and so deku uh goes out outside and uh quickly catches up with all might because you know he just uses full cloak to go super speed and catch up with him and um so Alma is like, oh, okay, you know, are are you here to ask why I'm here? And uh, Deku's hesitant for a minute, and then he's like, you knew, right? You knew how Nya knew about One For All. I mean, to the guy, Senpai being in line to be your successor, you knew all of that stuff. So why didn't you tell me? And uh, Toshinori says, well, did I have a reason to? And Deku just freaks out. He gets a really kind of despairing look on his face and says, of course you did. You know, all this stuff is just new to me and I'm I'm in this haze now you, and you didn't warn me about any of this. So I want to know all this stuff and I don't want to know, like, as your fan, but as your successor, and I feel like I have a right to know. And, uh, all might's like, okay, if you're sure, but don't regret asking me this. And, uh, so he provides backstory about his relationship with Nighteye. And how Nighteye was actually a lot like Deku in the past. He was one of my major fanboys. I made a point of never taking on sidekicks, but he eventually wore me down, and I brought him on board. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, he's he became the brains behind All Might's brawn. And Deku's like, well, of course I know that stuff. I'm your super fan. So, but you know, you worked in the field and all that stuff. But All Might says, our partnership dissolved when I was hurt six years ago. We just saw things differently. And we see that I was encouraging him to retire because he was in such poor shape. And, uh, you know, and I was gave this big thing like, okay, you know, look, you're trying to be a hero in this state, but doing so will only lead to more pain for everyone. For the sake of peace, you should retire now while you're still a living legend. You need a lot of rest right now. Uh, find a bright, strong, fresh face for the job. Find someone just like you and pass it on. And, but All says, okay, but until then, what about the symbol? You know, I, I, I need to protect that. And I says, I get that and I respect that ideal, but in the state that you're in right now, you can't even smile. If you insist on continuing with these theatrics, I won't support you anymore. I can't. I don't want to. Um. It's a pretty emotional scene. I, I, and, um, you know, knowing what we know about Night Eye, uh it's, I guess, makes more sense from this explanation, like, why he's such a hard-ass, because, like, you know, it's it's the thing that Deku has had to learn from Bakugo recently, which is you have to be so strong that you can always have that confidence about you. That's, you have to always be strong enough that you can be the personable hero, too. I,
1: uh, also <laughs> uh, no, I can finish up.
0: Uh, also uh, Anaya says things may be touching uh, for a short time, but uh, but you might be able to avoid that. And uh it's like, okay, well you know your foresight's never been wrong before, so there's no chance that we can actually avoid it. And uh, Naya got really stubborn about this and said, no, I can change the future. But if you just proceed on this path, then what I've seen will come to pass. We can't have that. I want nothing more than to be there for you, All Might. Uh, but, and if you continue down this path, you will encounter a villain. What awaits you then is an unspeakably gruesome death. And, uh, so, this is why All Might didn't tell the truth, because, yeah, so, I'm gonna die. Uh, definitely. <laughs>
1: Not probably. Uh, It's very, very, very likely 100% awful.
0: If there was a chance of preventing it, then we have already gotten past that point, so...
2: Yay! (laughs) So there you go.
1: I, um... I was... I don't know how to exactly explain how I felt about this chapter. I, I, I think... Part of me is just a little disappointed based on the fact that I really wanted to get that uh, look into the villain conversation. Like, that's how last chapter ended, with being like, Shigaraki's on the line for you. And be like, oh, <laughs> I can't wait for that. So we don't get that, and that's fine. I, I mean, there's a little bit of blue balls to it. But I don't know, this episode, or this episode, this uh, this chapter just didn't strike me very well. I, I, I just, there's something with the scene with Night Eye that just didn't work for me. I think it's just because of how we've kind of seen Night-Eye to this point that this depth of, like, emotion just doesn't resonate with me particularly well. And, I don't know, it's not that it doesn't work all together, it's just I didn't feel very much going through it. I I just don't think I care enough about Night-Eye as a character yet to have this scene really hold much weight.
0: Kind of feels like um need a bit more of a wind-up.
1: Or I just need to, like, know Night Eye more. I mean, it's only been, like, a month since he's mm. been introduced. And it's, like, it's just not enough time. And uh, that entire time, he's basically been a stoic dickhead, too. It's not as though, like, we've immediately gotten, like, a touch with who he is. As, like What a
0: tortured kid. persona lo- dwells beneath that douchebaggery?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's something that definitely could have worked better. Probably will ultimately work in the long run when, like, we look at this scene down the line. If we do eventually get this payoff for All Might's Fate. But in this moment, I was just like, eh, I just don't really feel anything. I kind of wish we could just get that villain conversation.
2: Okay.
1: It is what it is. But, uh, let's, I guess, move on to Fairy Tale. Fairy Tale chapter 527. There is no title on the first page because it's mostly just Lucy (laughs) naked.
0: I hey, hey am... Natsu's there too, wearing significantly more clothing.
1: <laughs> is there a title page? Oh, wait, no, that's the I next think, chapter am I... page. <laughs> am I, I mean, have to... we could am go I... back to
0: 526 yeah, and I... find out what the chapter was titled from that. <laughs> yeah, I'm
1: like, am I going to have to go back another chapter just to fucking find out what this <laughs> stupid chapter is called? Emotion. Chapter 527, Emotion. <laughs> All right, I'm already in a good place for this. So... Last time, it seemed as though Gildarts had managed to defeat August by, uh, basically...
2: Punching him. Yeah,
1: essentially just, uh, <laughs> finding an easy out on his very powerful magic. We start off this chapter with Lacarte still being like, Father, save me! And Xerath just being like, just die! You're not actually my kid! I just die! And literally just seems to vaporize him. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a big brown scorch mark on the ground. And Natsu's really angry about this. You know, he's like, how could you do this? This is your ally. You're, you can't possibly be his dad because there ain't a dad in the world who doesn't love his kid. And that, I guess, is going to be the, the provoking thing to start this all off. But we cut back to, to Gildarts who says, I guess he won't be able to use his left arm anytime soon. Which is like, okay. I guess
0: that's, I punched point. him super hard.
1: <laughs> I guess that's the consequence of Crash magic or whatever it was. But August is not dead, Nick. He rises from the rubble, still alive. And he's like, I was bestowed with tremendous magic at my birth. Because of it, I have been abandoned and shunned. When I came to a dead end in my life, it was his majesty who saved me. And even if it costs me my life, I, August... The greatest of the Spring and Twelve possess enough power to wipe this pitiful country off the face of the world. And nothing can stop is that my mom <laughs> <laughs> And then he fades away oh, into dust. Not? What are you doing here? <laughs> and then he fades away into fucking dust.
2: So <laughs> would uh, it's, it's Ain't no way you're breaking me, kid. I'm harder than nails. Plus, I keep it on lock like I'm part of the jail. <laughs>
1: Wait, is that Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm technically skipping ahead, but while this is happening, I guess he's he's doing some kind of magic that's going to cause everyone in the world to evaporate in the very land itself to
0: melt. Uh, yeah. The, the ancient Mavis magic is, magia. It is causing the blood of living things to evaporate in the very land itself to melt which is really fucking metal. (laughs) So she's she's
1: trying to warn everybody, like, protect yourself or else you're going to die, but someone is blocking it. Someone's blocking her power from doing so. So she's trying to figure out what this is, and we cut back to August, who's just like, I will destroy you! And I'm not exactly sure what happens here. I guess this is Mavis saying this, where she says the only one who could defeat him would likely be his own mother. And there's like a full page devoted to August slowly being like, hmm? Hmm? Oh, mom's down there. Hi, mom. 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 And he fades fucking away into nothingness.
2: Uh
1: I mean, there's technically more to that. Like, he just fades away and disappears, but then appears as a fucking, like, force ghost for a hot moment to be like, mother! And I guess he's saying, like,
0: it would... Davis kind of hears him. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and he's like, it's just enough to, you know, I just once wanted to be held in your arms or, whatever. Um We'll get back to that, I guess, when we wrap things up at the end. But, essentially, the rest of the chapter is kind of just devoted to bringing us, I guess, right into the Xerath and Natsu fight, because there's no one left really at this point unless we're having some kind of actologia, like, stall. So, Grey reveals that he had managed to get the book of the, oh sorry, no, Mavis has the book of the end. So, she says that there's something within this that will be able to save Natsu. I love her exact wording. That's when you will have to save Natsu! Use your power of friendship to do it. Like, it's a literal tangible thing in this universe. Like you were just saying, like, make sure you go Super Saiyan 2 when you start this fight, Goku, because you're going to have no time to power up in the middle of it.
0: And magic makes it
1: all complete, Chris. <laughs> uh, So she basically apparently has some way for Natsu to get one over on Zeref. We don't know exactly what, but she, she has some knowledge of it, and she's sending uh Grey and, and Lucy to go figure it out uh we cut back and it's basically just a bunch of fighting between Zeref and Natsu about their concepts of family that eventually ends with Natsu being like go fuck yourself little brother or big brother and they start like powering up with like their magic literally like shooting off of themselves and uh we end with Mavis running to i guess be at this conflict
0: <laughs> you have to you have to use this and to use the power of your friendship. Anyway, I'm going to go watch. Yeah. yeah. Damn
1: my short little tiny person legs. Why don't I just fly? Yeah. I feel like I should have that power. I, you know, I, I can't decide if I just absolutely hate what happened to August at the very end with every fiber of my being. Or if I'm just like, this is so stupid and dorky. Because on one hand, I'm like, does she even like, why does he stop? I, I don't get, know. I get that he, it's like he, re, he seems to realize that's his mother, or maybe it's just like a magical connection he realizes in that moment, and I could realize why he wouldn't want to kill her, but it's weird that he just gives up on life, seemingly, when, even though Zeref uh, well, doesn't... He said he
0: was going to give his own life in order to, I think, cause? I don't know.
1: Yeah, but he didn't cast the... Ma- like, I guess it's like so much so that even to start it is what kills you, but... In my mind, I'm like, he shouldn't die here, or, like, he should not want to willingly die, because even if he doesn't want to kill Mavis, and even though Zaref doesn't acknowledge him, or even know that it's his kid, he still has that fervent loyalty to Zeref as the Emperor that seemed to be his number one idea overall. Yeah. So, it did seem weird that that kind of didn't come up at all in this last moment, it was just, like, a glimpse of his mother is enough to cause him to just... Give up on everything or I guess be destroyed by his own magic. I'm not entirely sure what happened. I guess that's what a universe powered by magic kind of has in its back pocket is they don't really need to explain everything at times,
0: but uh, I mean it's it's the issues that I had with the whole Irene thing compounded where it's like, okay, you got this thing where you're attempting to have this big emotional uh, defeat of a villain based off of a familiar relationship that they have and they like they decide to stop themselves from killing the be- the good guys because of a familial bond that they have. And with August, we just had that play out over the course of two chapters when parts of those two chapters were focused on the thing with, you know, Zeref and the Karate and-, and Natsu. So a lot of the attention was being taken away from him in or, order- and taking away the time that could have been spent building him up more, or mm-hmm. at the very least pacing this sequence a little bit better. Uh, with Irene, like, we had like, a, almost like a full month of, like, just explaining who she was to Urza, uh, how she felt about her daughter, her denial over her feelings, and then, then coming to realize how she felt about her and deciding to not kill her. And with August, it's just like, oh, well, he punched me one time, so I'm going to blow everything up! Oh, hey mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
1: shouldn't
2: have turned away! <laughs> Yeah, I, I. Mother! I, there is no other! My mother!
1: <laughs> oh man, I wish Shelton Benjamin's mom had a theme song that I could start having him sing right now.
2: Oh, fuck or, that storyline.
1: Or you could just do one of the many uh, artists, the Cat Miller theme songs. It's like, somebody call somebody my mom! Somebody call my mom! <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm wavering more towards the second end. It's not the worst thing that Fairy Tales ever done, like a twist no. or anything like that. It just, I don't know, maybe it just feels unnecessary, Like, and I guess that's what Tale constantly does, is tries to give as many characters happy endings as possible, and even this, I guess you might say is bittersweet, but it's still a chance for him to at least, you know, force Ghost to be like, hey mom, or whatever, so,
0: yeah, it, I mean, adds, you know, it like, that. You know, the idea on paper, I think, is actually really good, where, you know, uh, nobody knows who August actually is, that he's the child of Zerif and and Mavis. Nobody knows why he's so loyal to Xerath, and nobody knows why he decided to call off his attack. He just has that one moment where he briefly calls out to Mavis when he's dying and nobody knows who he was. Um but without the proper pacing and build up to it, it falls a little flat, just like a lot of things in Fairy Tale do. So you know, it fairy tale. Do.
1: Now I am reading closer here, and this does actually take away one of my theories. Cause Kana says, did he use up all of his power? And Gildart specifically says, no. He saw something and stopped the incantation. So that does seem to indicate that, uh, August did this to himself willingly. Yeah. Alright, so that, that puts it further into the, this is a kind of very dumb twist at that point, or finale, but I guess it's ultimately just like kind of disappointing that August, who was being built up for so long, kind of just didn't really feel yeah. all that spectacular He was one of the
0: few members of the Sprig 12 that actually you felt like he was powerful. Mm-hmm. So.
1: But it is what it is.
0: Huh. Okay, we're going to move on now to Astral Lost in Space! In space! So, uh, we have chapter twenty seven with the crew of the Astra just arriving at the next planet of their journey, the fourth planet, and everyone's like, Oh yeah, things are going really well here. Um Luca and uh and a few of them just like start singing and it's just like, Well, okay. Yeah, you guys uh you guys do that for sure. Um
2: <laughs> Do you remember in
1: Gant's When after there was that whole fucking invasion of the aliens, like, for some reason, like, even though we saw the aliens were evil, I guess humanity hadn't seen it as a large. So the aliens were like, no, we're friendly. Come to our spaceship. So it's all these people being lifted into the spaceship for their own butchering while they sing the fucking One Piece theme song. Yeah. I always was like, I hope every one of you fuckers deserves this. Every
0: single one of you. None of you have watched Independence Day! What the fuck?
1: <laughs> why are you doing... Why are you accepting being lifted into the strange alien spaceship
2: in a cage? Look, they're opening! <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God. So, Zack provides an explanation about the planet that they're heading towards. Uh, Icarus, or Icarus, or something like that. And uh, he explains that uh, the unique thing about it is that it's... Uh, very close to the sun and the planet doesn't rotate uh, as in actually the spinning of it on its axis matches up exactly with its revolution. So one side of the planet is constantly day. One side of it's constantly night as a result of that. One side of it is this infernal burning wasteland and the other one is cold and inhabitable. So in order to actually land on the planet, they have to get on this one belt uh, that separates the two halves, uh the middle ground between the hot and cold halves of it. So, it's a cool gimmick, and uh, it's really the first one that I think makes, that actually stands out among the planetary designs that we've seen so far in the series. Because before, it was just like, oh, this one's a water planet. This yeah. one's got big trees. <laughs>
1: Well, also, yeah, we didn't stay in any of those planets for really long enough to get much of an impression on them. Like, I kind of felt the, the water planet could have been really cool with this idea that it just has, like, tremendously just destructive tidal waves from time to time. But the first time one happened, they're like, all right, let's get out of here, and they leave. So okay, bye. <laughs> with this one, you're at least, in, like, immediately getting the impression of, like, all right, what makes this planet unique? So, Right.
2: Uh, So they
0: head down into the atmosphere... And, uh, things immediately start to get rocky because they're heading through some really bad storms, uh, and turbulence. Um, they managed to push through it, uh, without too much trouble, though. And, uh, was it? Oh, okay. There's a really weird little, uh, brief little exchange between, uh, Kanata and Zack because Zach's like, Hey, you better, you know, like, sit down and buckle up because, you know... Uh, if, it, if the ship gets rocked by all the, the gusts and stuff, you could fall over and he's like, I'm the undisputed champion of Karen Class 2A's push game tournament. My stance is rock steady. A little bit
2: of turbulence will poof! <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the <a> longest <laughs> fucking stupid ass
0: explanation. <laughs>
2: um.
0: So they managed to get through a clearing in the storm and uh, they see this huge, uh, you know, wide open space uh, before them. Um, and, um, they start to, uh, get, run into some trouble because, uh, there are some, first off, there's some birds surrounding them. They're not birds, they're giant insects, I think, because they've got, like, the weird eyes and stuff. But whatever, they call them birds. And, uh, they're like, okay, well, they're not attacking us, we're good, we're fine. Oh hey, look at all these weird these weird plant things. And one of them just kind of piranha plants at them and tries to gobble them up. And uh, so things start to really run into run into shit city after that. Um, electricity starts emanating from these bizarre floating plants as well. Um, to which Kanata says,
2: "Zack, zappy things, zappy things, bad dogs and zappy things." <laughs>
0: um. But eventually, after a bunch of evasive maneuvers, they almost get grabbed by another plant.
1: This is a terrifying plant to me, because it looks like just like, almost like a cactus, and then you start seeing it like open up, and then it just becomes like a fucking hand. It's like, give me this!
0: This grabs the, the ship hole. And, uh, so, they try, you know, just use the retro rockets or whatever to just pull away, but it's not working, so Zack puts the ship into a roll, in order to tear the kind of vine that's snagged onto them off. But uh, as a result of being crushed by the thing, um, they're experiencing malfunctions, and they start to head towards a cliff. And uh, so everything is down to Zack to try and get them to land safely. And uh, they almost manage to make it down to the ground, but a sudden gust of wind hits them, and smashes them into the wall of this cane that they're heading down. And, uh, so they barely managed to land after that. And, uh, from there, like, he tries to, you know, run some tests and nothing's responding as he clicks the joystick. And so he announces the Astra is incapable of flight.
2: Bum,
1: bum, 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 bum. Dramatic reverb.
0: Yes. Nick, are they all gonna die so, on this planet? Uh yeah, they're going to start eating each other. <gasps> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So uh pretty uh the first kind of really harrowing cool. thing to happen to the crew in, a, in quite a while, isn't it? Um, if you
1: were a member of the crew, which one would you eat first in disaster?
0: <sighs>
1: the kid, right? Like to spare them. <laughs> you don't get as much meat off of her though. <laughs> I just don't want to deal with the kid that much longer. Um, I'm like, <laughs> look,
0: look, I'm a bad babysitter. <laughs>
1: I'm like, for the greater good, conk with like a wrench in oh, the man. back of the head. <laughs> Are you going to eat her? What? Now. <laughs> Go kill the next youngest person in this group,
0: though. I just don't like dealing with children, okay? <laughs> I hate the youth so much. <laughs> Oh, Gar, I'm pretty sure I'm going to eat you last. (laughs) Charles, you're up there, too. Zach? Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, any of you who seem physically...
0: The rest of you bratty high school kids, get in my belly. Yeah,
1: I'm like, any of you who seem physically imposing, you're getting to hang around for a little while longer, but (laughs) Quint Smetted, whatever your name is, bang! (laughs) Pretty sure I can take you.
0: Um, so yeah, uh... And, uh, it looks to me by uh, the way that this chapter went down that we're probably going to be getting some more of Zack and, uh, which is kind of logical. He's kind of the last person to have gotten uh, any focus among the cast yet. Uh, so yeah, we'll see if he gets his mo- m- moment to shine in the coming uh, few chapters.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's an exciting kind of, uh, position they're in right now.
0: And I like that the uh, problems that these guys encounter are always, like, very different from each other, you know. Uh, We've fallen sick, how are we going to get food, and now, how are we going to repair the ship? So,
1: And they always seem to happen at different times, too. Like, I think it's the first time they've come to a planet and immediately been up Ship Creek, you know? Right away, yeah. So, it's nice to kind of get that variety in it,
0: too. Okay, Alright, uh, let's move on to Food Wars, Shokageki no Soma. So, last time we got the reveal of uh, who all the resistors on the team are going to be. And uh, immediately uh, Soma and Ishiki and Tall Guy stepped forward to do a three-on-three with uh, three representatives of Central. So now we get Chapter 207, Bad Luck! And, uh, so... The chapter begins with a bunch of the people of Polaris reacting to Ishiki being there, and they're like,
2: "Oh my god, you're here! We're so happy to see you!"
0: Bunhead girl like does like a leaping tackle hug on him. Um, one of the girls points out, "Uh, you know, hey, if you lose, you're gonna get expelled along with us." And Ishiki's like, well, "I'm still gonna fight for you guys. This is for the sake of my favorite doormates, after all." So. It's a cool little moment for him, you know. Yeah, he, he doesn't. It's not even like you know I have to do this. It's just like, well, of course I'm going to help you guys out. You're my friends. So, um, <laughs> I love his explanation of his backup plan because they're like, on the off chance we do lose, I have a plan. We'll go work on a farm together. <laughs> he's apparently gone to gone to great lengths to already set this up. It's <laughs> <He's, he's, laughs> like look, not for nothing. They're gonna destroy us. So don't
1: worry. <laughs> Everything's already set up. We're all gonna be farm uh, farm men together.
0: Like he's got the entire plan like ready to go. Like as his his plan B at the worst case scenario is like yeah, I've got my I've in contact with my friends and he's got a distributor who specializes in organic produce, and we can start this is a small start a farm and then, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Kuga says that um, he's not going to step in until Sukasa is coming out, um, so that's why he's leaving things to Megashima. And uh, I like this kind of continuing flash of arrogance from Kuga. And uh, also continuing his rivalry, his one sided rivalry with Sukasa. It's like, yeah, I'm not gonna go out until, until I get to face Sukasa, so Yeah. Um Let's see here. Um so Central has prepared um the resistors fucking
1: um... <laughs> like the VIP CD <laughs> and it's just a drunk tank. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They prepared the bleachers specifically for the resistors who are going to be watching, and it's it's a cell. Like,
1: (laughs) legitimately, it's just like a cell with a like a bench in it. And the first scene of them in it is them like holding the bars. Like, oh, it's like you've been in there five minutes.
0: One of them, like, gets gets a mug out. (laughs) One
1: of them's already shit in the corner. Like, dude, we're going to be here for hours. Why?
0: Nobody knows. Shut up. I'm trying to watch the match.
1: He's like, I didn't choose the prison life. The prison life chose me. I'm going
0: to shit in all your corners. (laughs) <laughs> one of them's already fashioning a shiver. I'm not gonna let you guys steal my lunch. <laughs> I watched Oz. I'll sell, your ass for a, I'll sell your ass for a box
2: of cigarettes.
1: I, I watched Oz, I know how to handle myself. We're in the Aryan Brotherhood, I'm drawing the shit out of them. Get myself a little attabec hat, don't know how it stays on, but I'm gonna get one.
0: Which one of you said we're Norton? I'm not gonna get fucked in the ass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all the prison movies. Now one of the chick's gonna start
0: making out. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Orange it's the New Black and anyway
2: our clothes blow off on a regular basis anyhow yeah it's not
0: that
1: hard for it to happen
0: alright uh, so um, it's established that Soma is going to go up against Kino Kuni the glasses girl uh, who's been given a fair amount of build up in uh, recent chapters as being one of the more uh, intimidating and young members of the council and Kinokuni gives, uh, you know, really pumps herself up. She, she cuts a promo on Soma saying how well, much she's going to kick his ass. And, uh, she says, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, I want, how about you pull the ingredient from, you know, the, the bingo, uh, jar essentially. She says, I want this to be a fair contest. I'm quite particular about these things and I'd rather not be considered a dirty player like Azon. And, uh,
1: I don't know why this is like one of my favorite jokes for all the food
0: wars. It's a, great, it's a great joke that happens. Um I, I like the little note where where Azon's got his back turned to her, but it also says next to him, ignoring. <laughs> <laughs> uh some guys try and cheer her on and she and she's like, Stop that, you're being you're being really boorish. I detest such heckling. And all the guys are just like, ugh, a came alone.
1: <laughs> I like the librarian
0: girl. She's strict. Uh, ugh. Um, and, uh, Soma is like, you know, she, she's scolding the, guy, the guys in the bleachers, but that, that MC is being really rude too. Why should she have a problem with that? It's <laughs> note, yeah. Um, and, uh, Kuga's like, hey, you can hear a Miss Pigtails is a poison bar for a tongue and she ain't afraid to use it. So watch out. I'm betting she's
2: PMSing again
0: today. <laughs> what the fuck, Kuga?
1: <laughs> Why would you scream that out?
2: <laughs> oh, and so, so Kudakuni understandably says, "Go die, asshole."
0: <laughs> I, I um,
1: I suppose I had forgotten. I feel like this is not the first time we've seen that Kuga is just like a pretty big shithead.
0: He's a really immature asshole. Yeah.
1: I was like, I'm. Gl- I guess I'm glad to remember that, but I'm certainly not as excited for your like, "I'm gonna save the day" moment. <laughs>
0: No wonder you hang out with an all-guys club, you sexist asshole.
1: <laughs> He's like, there'd be girls in here if anyone hang out with me.
0: <laughs> but I guess I'm just too nice a guy. <laughs> they can't handle
1: how real I am.
0: Oh. So, Erina is, you know, narrating to herself, like, oh, you oh, know, ki- Nene ki- Kinokuri, her expertise is in all forms of traditional Japanese cuisine. In particular, when it comes to soba and noodles, she has no equal... But and there's this whole thing where you know she gets her her big you know put them in their own in their own element uh, imagery with her you know like in a a kimono handling like a, a Japanese umbrella and her family owns a soba noodle shop in Kanda. An old and elite establishment. They have meticulously preserved the original Edo Soba style of noodle making for generations. Born in such a traditional environment, she has had the intricacies of Japanese cuisine, from the tea ceremony to full-course meals, drilled into her from a young age. A true blue-blooded elite, she is considered the pride of the traditional Japanese culinary world. But, Kino takes her glass off and like poshs them off and she says... Let me offer you some advice, Soba Yukihira. Do not think that my skills lie in Japanese cooking alone. No matter what theme you choose, no matter what type of cooking our battle requires, nothing will change the fact that my dish will crush yours. And someone's like, alright, I'll grab the lot. Takes
2: so. it out. Soba. <laughs> <laughs> that shit made me laugh so hard, <laughs> immediately when she starts apologizing for it too. <laughs>
0: Everyone's reactions are beautiful. Like Kuga and Ikumi, and, and are like, "Oh shit!" Ikumi is making a freaking Yuma duck face in the in the cells. Like, "Oh fuck!" Even Alice, is like, "Oh, well, he's he's screwed." The freaking MC and the central siding fans are there, and they're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> and Kinuko is like.
2: I- 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 <laughs> I just I
1: laughed so hard that she just like she's like just see so you're clear this is not my fault. I didn't I didn't mean for it to happen this way. <laughs> I know I did this big bravado thing about no matter what don't think I'm just a Japanese chef. Whatever dish comes up I will destroy you in it and then my best thing comes up, oh look alright, then shut up. It's not my
0: fault. And she's like, she's like, freaking looking away and blushing because her cool moment's been completely undermined by this development. And she's like, "This is not my fault. I did not intend for this to happen." So it's like, "Oh no, I know you did." It's like, "No, don't apologize. Shut up."
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man! But you know, she just gets right into it and starts going. You know, it's like, "All right, hand prepared soba. Let's do this." It's this huge uh, bowl out. Uh, puts in, you know, water with the ingredients. And starts hand crafting it with blinding speed to make the dough. And, uh, everyone's like, oh, and, uh, Megumi's like, it's beautiful. It's like she isn't so much a chef as an artisan perfecting her craft. And everyone just, I was like, oh, soba's
2: fucking dead!
0: And, uh, so some of the things I was like, alright, what should I do? Okay, soba, uh, buckwheat noodles. Alright. Instant yaki soba. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> well, this was a weird chapter. We get a little bit at the very end where the judges are given a really, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, ominous. foreboding yeah. introduction, a very ominous dark shadows as they're watching the proceedings on a TV from backstage. And, uh, they're like, ah, it's the Rubert central. Let's, pr- let's be certain. We provide an impartial and absolute judgment. Um, but seriously, <laughs> such a weird, goofy chapter.
1: Well, it's, it's, it, it's good to note that because, you know, obviously if the judges are saying, so that's the rumored central, then they're not part of it. So we, we do get the right. idea that this is going to be impartial, but there's also one other thing that kind of happens at the very end here is,
2: uh,
1: yes, uh, Nita Kino Kuni, whatever her name is, uh, looks yes. at a shiki and thinks to herself, like a shiki, And they kind of have a little bit of like a stare, uh stare mm-hmm. down. And it's teased a couple times throughout this chapter, actually, based on the fact that she is the highest ranked second year student on the council, ranked even higher than Ashiki. And they keep kind of playing into that. We, we know that Ashiki's a very talented chef, but they keep noting about where her position is and how she's even better than he is. And this little stare down at the end definitely seems to set up the implication that something there's some kind of history between the two of them. Almost certainly, mm-hmm. and considering how she usually seems to be nothing but confident, the fact that there seems to be a little bit of like a foreboding element there when she sees him almost makes me think that she might have a losing history, or, or maybe some kind of history where she knows what Ashigi's true skill is, and maybe is intimidated by it, or has a greater Real awareness thing. of it. I- I'm gonna make a th- I'm gonna make a theory right now, Nick. So that okay. if this happens, everyone can say I called it. Like honey Mustard. Um, I, I believe that actually happened. I, <laughs> I think what's going to happen here, Ishiki is going to throw his match. Not in a sense of being like, I'm going to screw it up. But the whole point of this is that when you're judged, you're judged in a one-on-one matchup, but also your food's tasted alongside the rest of your team. And I hmm. think Ishiki could have done something to his food that would have given him the win, but he chose deliberately not to do it so it would better enhance Soma's food and helps so, him get the victory
0: over her. Well, if Kino Kuni is a higher-ranking member of the of the council than the other two, then I guess that there would be an element of strategy to that. So I, I'm going
1: with that logic to
0: this. and that's can the theory see that. That's
1: the theory I'm throwing out there. And when next okay. week happens, and he's like, I crushed my opponent already! And I'm like, <laughs>
0: Then you're going to be like, oh, okay, okay I'm getting on my face, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I I like that idea. Uh but uh there is definitely something going on with Ishiki. Uh we've of course established that when multiple people are cooking at the same time in this kind of competition, then they're allowed to also help each other with uh their dishes and stuff. So but hey, maybe Ishiki will focus more on helping out Soma than on his own dish for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh he also says something uh that's kind of a throwaway thing, uh, directly after we get that big reaction to Kinokuri getting her specialty. 'cause uh he and Megishima pick their uh their thief the themes of their matches and Megashima just kinda goes hmm. but Ishiki says, I see miracles are as common as ever. So we shall see. Have an ominous thing for him to say there. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Um, surprisingly very funny chapter, honestly. <laughs> uh so I was quite happy with it.
1: You know what? If nothing else, too, this did put at least a little ease at the notion that maybe the series is wrapping up to a conclusion soon. Because this definitely didn't seem like the kind of chapter you'd do then, if that's the case. Like a chapter really just kind of used to emphasize this book.
0: Ends. Just built for yeah, build up the personality of the people involved and throw a bit of humor in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Let's do our jump starts. We've got a new one, but we're going to be beginning with the third and last one for the jump start run of Doctor Stone. Uh, so, last time, after experimenting with, uh, fermentation, uh, Senku and Taiju basically came up with the way to free people from their stone imprisonment, and so, of course, Taiju is leading them to go and, uh, free his crushed Yuzuriha. Um, so, you know, they're, like, they get everything ready, they head towards the tree, and, uh, they actually do bother to establish that uh, Seku has actually tried this on uh, humans because he was like, "Yeah, I tested it on some broken pieces of stone, and they turned back into dead flesh and she like, oh! <laughs> It's like,
2: "Oh
0: I mean, yeah, if you forgot to do a human trial, you know do it on someone who's already dead, yeah, sure.
1: I mean it, yeah, logic's there, it's sound
0: hmm so uh they. Pull aside a bunch of the vines that are wrapped around Yusuriha's statue, and it's like, alright, yeah, uh, Usuriha, I'm sorry for making you wait so long, but I'm gonna bring you back to life, and then Taji goes, wait, Seku! She's naked! And she just joutes <laughs> him in the eyes!
2: <laughs> like, it goes so,
1: like, like, tangibly <laughs> into his skull!
2: <laughs> and, so, he's like, yeah, we can't revive her like this, she's naked! She'll get so embarrassed, and say, like, are you- Fucking kidding me. I love his
1: face of just like fucking seriously?
0: Like (laughs) he's like, are you you fucking kidding?
2: We live in a
0: brutal stone world now. Who cares about that crap? And Taito's like, I care. It's like nobody is going to mine. Come on. (laughs) But Yuzuriha does not have junk that will be swinging around. It's like, no, no, you idiot. (laughs) just fucking picks her statue up over his head and he's like, we're gonna bring her back to camp and put clothes on her and then we'll free her. I fucking love this idiot. (laughs) Such purity to this stupid ass relationship. (laughs) It's like, it's like, oh, what the hell are you doing? Like huffing over your head. how much does, how does she even weigh? She's not chubby. That's not what I mean. It's
1: like, I don't, I'm not calling her fat. She's made out of stone.
0: <laughs> um, but all of a sudden things take a turn for the very serious as a group of fucking lions arrive out of the jungle and uh, start to pursue after them. And, uh, Sanku's like, I guess the keepers turned to stone while the cages were unlocked. And, uh, so no, no one's been there to look after them. And, uh, yeah, animals are probably fucking all over the place. So, yeah, we aren't at the top of the food chain anymore as a result of that. And so they start running away, uh, with Yuzuriha in hand. Um, they have a little bit of time, uh, because the lions are being cautious. Because, I mean, if they chased after them full powered from the, oh, yeah, they, uh, And so Senku says, okay, well, we've, we've got, you know, spheres and shields back at camp, but that's a really long ways to get to. So, uh, it's not like we, we really have a realistic chance of doing this. So Taiju thinks quickly and tosses Yuzuriha over to Senku and he's like, okay, you know, you're humanity's last best hope with your scientific mind. So I can't let you die here. So I'll protect you. Just take Yuzuriha back to camp. And Senku's like, no. I mean, I need your physical strength, and you're no fighter, so you can't take them on. I've never seen you throw a single punch since elementary school. And we actually get a little bit of a flashback of uh, Taiju protecting Senku from bullies when they were little kids, which he just did by just standing in front of them and absorbing all the punishment. And uh, that's that's the only insight I think we've gotten so far into how long they've actually really known each other. Yeah, first
1: real glimpse into until- the where their friendship was kind of founded from.
0: Hmm. So Senku says, look, we we have to be rational about this, uh, and we've got to both get out of here. And Senku's like, okay. Or Taiju is. And uh, then Taiju realizes, wait a minute, you said I'm not a fighter. And then he's like, hey, we can't fight them, but look over here. And he rushes over to where the strongest primate high schooler, Sukasa Shishio, is frozen in stone which he, he did make a specific note of yes. in the first chapter. Because I think we, at the uh, time, still said,
1: what the fuck does strongest primate high schooler mean? It still is a very <laughs> weird way to describe him.
2: What, so the, we like, hey, what
1: does know. the primate part mean?
0: <laughs> I get it. Oh. And so he's like, okay, I'm sorry, Usurica, but we need a fighter right now to protect us. And uh, if we can get, get past these guys, then we'll for you next. And so... Pour the mixture on top of Shishio's head, and it looks like the lions are closing in. They're going to get them, but just as they're about to, a stone around Shishio's body starts to crack and emerge, and Taiju immediately says to him, "Is like, hey, you know, I'm sorry that we've only just woken you up, but we kind of need your help here. (laughs) But Shishio just says, what's our situation? And Senku says, like, your body is covered in stone fragments, and we've got lions incoming at nine and two o'clock. Okay. Crosses on stone shards, go shooting outward, pelting the lions. This.
2: And then he rushes in and beats them up. <laughs> that dude punched a lion. This shit is
1: awesome. This is... <laughs> This is 100% what Inigaki kind of succeeded at all the time with AI Shield when it was like, this is stupid. Why does this person this absurdly powerful? You're like, I don't care. This is awesome. This dude has been in stone for millennia. And the first moments of his actual like senses being awoken again besides consciousness, he's just like, what's the situation? Enemies at nine and two. Got it. Boom. I'm going to punch this lion out. BAM. I'm a high schooler.
2: <laughs> and i want to make a note of
0: one little detail he's such a badass that the only stone fragments that remain on him perfectly braid his long flowing hair
2: <laughs> oh my god and yeah
0: he just chases off the line and he's like i want a full explanation so take it nice and slow and i can make you one promise you too will never be in danger again from now on I'll do the fighting. <laughs> There's still an unconscious lion behind
2: him. <laughs> oh man.
0: So um, that's really it. Um, yeah, the, it's uh, the three of them are all gathered together: brains, brawn, fists. And uh, that's the end of our jumpstart. I really hope we see more of Doctor Stowe because uh, it's it's very much that. S- would only work in manga kind of a premise that's stupid awesome. So
1: I love this chapter. I loved everything about this. I love seeing this dude wake up out of the stone and just how calm and cool and collected he is. Just seeing that instantaneous reaction. We're just like, this is so absurd. But it's just awesome in the same way. How can Gao bench press like 500 kilograms? Who cares? This shit's awesome. How can Kid throw a football in like less than a point one second? Whatever. Look at these passes. You basically get that in the same notion of this dude just immediately waking up and like, I'm gonna knock out six lions. And also, <laughs> also, Taiju takes a couple shots too.
0: <laughs> That's a nice little detail because he's, you know. Heading off the lion, so he gets pelted by them too. But,
1: but I, I just, I love how they immediately add, like, gave this guy who's only been conscious, uh, really, for what, like, six pages, but they've already given him a character. And I loved what just just immediately this created, where I'm like, holy shit, this is like an actual group that's being formed. And I'm starting to get those feelings again of, of like, when I was reading ISHIL 21, you got to see this team of different personalities. Interacting, where I'm immediately like, I'm really excited to see what this guy is going to be like when he's working with the rest of them. Like, it was cool to see him immediately be like, tell me the situation. Okay, cool. I'll be handling the fighting for you guys now. You got you know, I'm going to cover you guys. And they're like, oh, that's, like, awesome. You know, I've heard some people theorize, like, maybe he'll be an antagonist. But I think it'd be much more cooler if he's actually just another ally. And this becomes kind of what the story is about, is, like, trying to rebuild the world by finding kind of like the strongest high schoolers out there people yeah <laughs>
2: yeah
1: uh, but i i just love how cool this felt how like awesome of a moment it was and just how it's all presented so effortlessly inagaki is truly just incredible at doing these sorts of things and i really i truly want this series more than maybe any jump start we've done to continue in the magazine because i absolutely love this series and it's, it's so it- much fun
0: it started off intriguing, it went in a cool direction in the next chapter, and then it's just like, alright, I'm, I'm, I'm on board, let's do this shit! Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm 100% on board at this point. You, you've, you've gotten my faith at this point. So, I, I really hope it, um, if you are like that and you want to see more Dr. Stone, uh, make sure to vote in the, the survey. Um, you know, you don't have to put a joke answer down. Cause it didn't matter anyway, you guys didn't manage to succeed! <laughs> somehow honey mustard wasn't one of the top five places to read shonen jump so don't worry about that but just in general make sure you you guys go to the survey and put your votes in um because that's the best way you're going to have to determine which jump start remains basically so um there's a lot of options out there we have another one to just talk about here too that people are, are pretty excited about so you have a ton there, but just make sure you put your opinion out there, because that's how they're going to gauge this.
0: Alright, so... Um, our next jumpstart uh, beginning of this week is a series called Robot Laser Beam from Tadatoshi Fujimaki, who was the uh, creator of Kurokono Basket. Uh, another sports series. And this one's about Golf. So Chris, you proposed a golf manga, mm-hmm. uh, several months ago when we did a uh, bonus episode, uh, on, uh, proposed sports manga. Yes. Um, so I guess my first thing is like, so h- how do you think uh, that Robot Laser Beam measures up to that?
1: Uh, well, I believe in mine there was like a wacky Mr. Krabs-like character who kept just using his like golf student for like marketing purposes for like his shitty restaurant. <laughs> uh, and there, I can't remember if that was the one with the mischievous fan service crab. I think that was the fishing one. <laughs> but regardless, I feel as though there's a lot more wacky. None of the characters in this are even called Daisuke Asahara. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like they weren't really trying, but hey, you know what? He's the one with the published series and I'm not, so maybe he knows something I don't. I'm more curious on your thought, Nick, because no matter how I tried to sell the golf manga, you were adamant fuck that, fuck its existence, there should be no manga about golf.
0: I will say that the protagonist does definitely endear himself to me because of his complete lack of interest in golf to begin with. (laughs) The first chapter is in fact titled, I'm not going to play golf. So.
1: <laughs> that's what got Nick really excited. He's like, oh, swerp you're wrestling manga or robot manga. I don't care.
0: <laughs> so, um, begin with an introduction to our protagonist, Roboto Hatohara, who everyone recalls, uh, via, uh, he's nicknamed Robocun. And, uh, we see him to begin with in, a sound studio, a karaoke, yeah, and karaoke uh, some you know, group of people have gone off to do karaoke. And instead of, I guess, participating properly, he's just kind of with a tambourine. They're kind of, just gonna sing, sing, ching, sing, Everyone's like, "Hey, uh you are you uh, <laughs> gonna do
1: karaoke, or are you just making a noise?
0: Are, you, are 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 you are you are you having fun?" He's like, "Uh, yeah."
1: like, you know, there's and- not a whole lot of tambourines in uh, Sweet Home, Alabama. You can stop that.
0: <laughs> ching, 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 ching. <laughs>
1: Too much energy for him. I imagine he just keeps it to a steady ching, ching, no matter how much it clashes with the song.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. There was one MAGFest, uh, I think it was the most recent one that I actually went to, and this was years ago, where a group of us went to some uh, really, I'm not even sure really how to describe it, uh it was a diner though and um they're playing like this cuban music i'm not really sure hmm. it was some from some indie group there they they're, they're just like playing the entire album and it was driving me fucking insane because there was just this one constant beat that would play in every song like that d- did not change throughout the entire song and then you would get a slightly different one fucking 5 minutes later it would go on forever and it got to the point where, because you could just barely hear it. It wasn't even like obtrusively going, "ding ding. But you know, if you're having a conversation with someone, you would just kind of hear, like almost subconsciously, ding 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 Just like that. And I was going insane, and eventually one song would wind down, and new one would go, "ding ding <laughs> Like the fucking telltale heart that I- was killing me. And that's what I think of when I think of like someone robotically playing a tambourine.
1: I my grandma's house used to always have that that sort of clock that had like the tch, 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 tch. and I always hated it as a kid. And then I go to my sister's place recently, and she has it. I'm like, how the fuck do you have one of those in your house? She's like, oh, isn't it soothing? I'm like, no, I it makes me immediately aware that I'm dying. It's counting away my seconds and <laughs> announcing them. Why would I ever want one of
0: those? I think the leaking faucet is actually really soothing. I'm
1: like <laughs> stop, no, you're insane
0: so anyhow, this is our introduction to Robocun uh stupidly serious, creepily thorough, inflexible, socially clueless, unfeeling, expressionless, his nickname robo um but uh. We are also introduced to Robo's basically one friend, Tomoya, who is a member of the golf club. And, uh, so uh, I like how he's like, um, Hey, so, uh, Robo, you went to karaoke? Yeah. Oh, that's weird for you. You know, did you, did you have fun? Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's completely
0: this flat-faced, uh, through the whole thing. And he's like, Hey, you know, if you really want to have fun, you should join the golf club. It's, it'd be great for you. You know, our team's really strong. You should join up. Nah. Why? Because hitting a ball and watching it roll into a hole. I mean, what's so fun about that? Just after my own heart, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's when Nick was like, you were already starting to cry. Like, you just did like a one are going down. You're like, It's
0: you. so beautiful! <laughs> this,
2: this guy gets it.
0: <laughs> this guy with zero personality. <laughs> uh. I like Tamoya's over-the-top interaction. Like, a oh, lightning bolt struck him and he, like, collapses to his knees. <laughs>
1: Nick, important yes. question. Okay. Who has more personality, Robo-kun or Danny Rand from Iron Fist?
0: robo <laughs> <laughs> <I, laughs> that It's not that Danny Rand has no personality. It's that he's got a very badly written and acted personality that's impossible to get a hand on. It's hey. like, okay... I think Robo has like, like a small rock. You know, it's dull and it's, it's difficult to describe, but it's solid. You can get a grasp on it. Danny Rand has like a smoke cloud. It's probably got just as much mass overall as the rock, if not a little bit less because of how Incredibly light it is, but it is also floating through the air, constantly changing. And when you try and grab onto it, it just sits between your fingers, and you can never really understand its shape. I'm proud of myself for that metaphor.
1: I, I, anyway. I, I got lost in there for a moment. I was like, "Wait, wait I'm like, "Which which state of matter is it at at this point? A gas or a liquid?" <laughs> it's <laughs> a plasma, Chris. <laughs> oh my god! They start crying. It's, out. The,
2: it's the stuff that comes out of his hand during that really crappy special effect that they do. <laughs>
1: Oh, the special effect was pretty cool. All right, well,
0: <laughs> didn't really like it. Honestly, <laughs> anyhow, Timoya tries to give this big passionate speech to Robo. He's like, oh, come on, you know, it's, it's, you can say basically the same thing about all sports, you know. And Robo's just like, I don't really understand sports in general, you know. I don't understand competing in order to defeat your opponent. I really don't get the points. Um, I yeah, you want to do what you like, cool, but I don't really see. Laying myself as superior inferior. inferior, uh, I don't get that. It's just a stupid game. Why would you? No. Um, Tomoya says, like, oh, you know, golf's really cool, though. You know, it's like, you know, pros could hit a ball 300 yards, to which Robo goes, what's a yard? <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, there's this guy named Yozan Yura who competed in the pro tournament. He came in second place. He's really cool. Um, and uh, Robo's just like, okay, but, you know. A lot of people who are really good have just been practicing since they were really young. I'm pretty sure that you just started because you could learn it. You learned how much money you could earn. Was like, oh. uh, the captain of the club comes along after them. His name is Shin. Is Shin and uh, he gives them a little bit more information. He explains what a yard is after Robo asks again, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and uh, he, he gives this more informative speech about how much he care, he cares about it. Uh, I like how he says, oh, you know, uh when you drive a ball 300 yards, it's basically 270 meters. So, you know, approximately twice the length of a baseball field. And I was like, if possible, could you give me an exact number? I don't like approximating calculations. <laughs> like, that's what he cares about.
2: <laughs> I'm like, wait, what?
1: That seems like the thing you would like to do. <laughs>
0: So, you know, Jintar's like, hey, you know, do you have any interest in playing golf or accepting new members? And he's just like, no, thank you. I have no interest or motivation whatsoever. <laughs> like, not even being rude about it. He just, he he's just like, blows like, nope, I have no interest and no motivation to do well. Um, but we get a bit more insight into the relationship between Tomoya and uh, Robo. You know, Timo is offering a little bit of information to Shintar as they're walking away. He's like, oh, yeah, he's got... He's, uh... Because he, Shintaro's like, he's got that flashy red hair color. He's like, "Oh no, no, that's actually his natural hair because he's actually half Scottish. So he's, he's born, born to play golf. Um, And, uh... The he muscles says, of actually
1: Scotsman. Got,
0: <laughs> we're like Japanese and Scots, Chris. <laughs> it's Scots and other Scots. Damn, Damn Scots! Scots. They ruined Scotland. You Scottish are a very, <laughs> are a very rambunctious lot, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah. So Tumoya points out, uh, yeah, he actually would get picked on a lot uh, because of his weird hair color, and he didn't have a lot of friends. And was like, oh, that's that, that kind of sucks. No, no, it's actually not that depressing of a story because he's basically a robot, so he didn't really notice it. I told him he was being bullied, and he was like, huh, I thought it was weird that no one's been talking to me lately. Okay. Which is actually kind of even more sad, in my opinion. <laughs> this bulletin didn't even re- realize it. Um, we actually get to see Yuuzhan Miura, the uh, good, am- great amateur golfer that Tomei was talking about earlier. He's at a driving range, practicing, and uh, he's actually apparently visiting the driving range for the first time because he's like, ah, I can't even really tell where the ball goes, so he's actually judging how well he's doing based entirely on the sound of it. So he's like, oh, okay, uh, I managed to do pretty well. Uh, and he's really blaming himself, being hard on himself because, uh, a competition he had last week, oh, if I just made that one shot, I could have won, but next time I will win. Um, it's really with this guy's character design that I, that you can definitely tell that, okay, guy who made Kuroko is <laughs> definitely drawing this because he looks straight out of a Kuroko, uh, character design sheet. Um, but anyhow. He hears a perfect shot from someone else in the driving range and uh, he actually watches where the ball is going and it actually rolls directly to the like edge of the shooting range and touches the 100-yard sign in the middle of it. He's like, oh, wow, huh. nice shot for you. That's probably your best shot of the day, maybe even the year. I've got to work, so my shot sounds just like that. And he hears the shot again. And it rolls up and taps the first ball. And he's like, are you, are you kidding me? And it goes again, and it goes again, and it happens like six times, and he's like, who in the world has such perfect, consistent shots like that? And he goes and tries to find, uh, the guy shooting the ball, but, uh, he's on like a different level of the, sh- of the driving range. So, by the time that he gets there, they're gone. Uh, so we see Robo, who definitely wasn't the guy shooting the ball, um, and like he's doing stuff like he's in a he's in a library uh, nearby, and uh, he's looking for stuff on golf. And someone comes up and he's like, "Hey, are you looking for something?" "Oh, well, yes, I was, but the books were out of order, so I organized them." <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you got to be jeez! That requires far more patience than I'm capable of. I used to volunteer at a library. And, uh, would occasionally take a shelf at a time. Would not be something I would do for fun. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I don't think I could see a lot of
0: fun with that. It's something just about books in general. Like, I love reading, but organizing books makes them seem so much more boring to me, I think. (laughs) Anyhow. Um, Robo runs into Shintaro again, uh... He explains, like, okay, you know, balls when you shoot them tend to naturally curve. Uh, Tomoya shows up. He's brought a brand new, bought a brand new golf club, which uh, Shintaro recognizes that is the most difficult to master and the most expensive. So he's really, he's mm-hmm. a real idiot for getting it because he's just wasting money on something he can't actually use properly. Uh, Tomoya drags Robo to the driving range, and uh, Robo is like. Why am I here? He's like, come on, just watch me do this! He tries shooting the ball. Does it really fucking poorly. And, I kid you not, golf bullies show up! Golf bullies! <laughs> They're everywhere.
1: There's golf bullies, baseball bullies. They're every- everywhere a person could be in a manga, there are bullies to target Absolutely. them.
0: Absolutely. Robo does make a note before they show up, uh, you know, cause Amway is like, are you going to make fun of me because I can't shoot the ball right? And I was like, no, I'm not going to laugh at you. When I was all alone, when everyone else laughed at me, you didn't. You didn't laugh and you were the only one to talk to me. So, of course, I won't do that. It's like, that's really cool of him. So Also, he does encourage him. He's like, hey, you know, if you keep on trying, you can do it. And uh then the golf bullies show up and they're
2: Oh your shot is horrible, what a terrible swing. Oh you have an expensive club, what a pose are you on? Let me show you how to use a real golf club and he
0: takes a swing, lands the ball on the green, um and he's like,
2: oh, yes, yeah, so that, uh, that wasn't quite right, but you get the idea. Mm, you'll never shoot the ball like this. There's no way you can hit it, you complete beginner, and you've got no talent, even as a beginner. So don't make a fool of yourself. Sell the club and quit golf forever. And uh, so he's like, oh, I just shoot. feel
1: like, that's why I fucking hate this sport. <laughs> just drop the club and
0: leave. <laughs> Fuck it's it, so I'm going to start paintballing. <laughs> Even if I suck that that's fun as shit. Yeah. <laughs> and just as expensive. You. Yeah, to shoot people too. And uh so he's like,
2: Oh the Uh
0: the guy he walks off was like, I told you to be
2: nice. That's why I used my friendly voice, Uh so he starts to walk off like Oh poem to And Robo says,
0: uh I don't I didn't understand what you meant by all that. I understand and agree that Tamoya is terrible at using his cough club, <laughs> but how can you assume that he can't get better with practice? And uh, the guy's like, oh, "I can tell by looking. He's got no talent." Well, yeah, but you didn't hit the ball straight with it either. So how can you say that you're talented? Can you prove it? He's like, mm-hmm. and so the other guy steps forward and is like, "Well, it's supposed to bend. That was a good draw." And Robo's just like, "Well, yes." That might be the case, but your other statement was not based on pure fact, so you should retract your earlier statement because it is not a fact. (laughs) It's going to take some getting used to this guy's way of going about things, I think. I fucking hate this kid so much. (laughs) Um, So, they make a bet, or rather, the the, uh, asshole bully, the golf bully, says... uh,
2: I'll take back what I said, and I'll apologize, but only if you hit one out of ten balls onto the 150-yard green. Go ahead and try! Even an idiot like you will see that golf isn't an easy spot, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. If you can do it, I'll beg for your forgiveness on my hands and knees. If you can't, you'll have to grovel and apologize and say, I'm sorry
0: I disrespected golf. I've already got voices for this series, Chris. It's got to stick around.
1: (laughs) Apparently... Who would have thought that a golf ball would be the one Nick's most excited about out of this lineup?
0: <laughs> so, uh, Robo's like, I accept the challenge. He borrows the same club. And Demo's like, you'll never be able to do this. And he's like, wait a minute. Are you upset, Robo? And uh, Robo just says, I just don't like seeing you so upset. When you're upset, I'm upset too. Riveting. Uh, Shintaro ends up witnessing the competition, too. He shows up shortly afterwards. Robo starts doing some practice swings, and he's fucking awful at it. And, uh, so, because is like, hey, have you ever played golf before? And, uh, Robo's like, yes, I borrowed my dad's. And you do it like this, right? And, uh, Tomoya's like, what do you mean like this, just waving around? If you hit the ball like that, the ball's not going to go anywhere. And so, I was like, okay, so I should swing wider then. And, uh... Tomoyo essentially is like going to make one last-ditch last effort to try and get Robo to back down from the challenge so he doesn't embarrass himself, and then he realizes he's got a really serious look on his face. I've seen him make that face before. It's like there's a switch in his brain. When he gets like this, there's no way to make him listen. And uh, Robo does a swing, he hits the ball, and it's like perfectly straight, goes straight towards the pin and just kind of overshoots the green by a few yards. And he's like, huh, that went a little bit too far. And, uh, everyone's like, how the hell would you make a straight shot like that? Like, it's nothing. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm aiming it to go where I want it to go. And that's it. That's literally his entire logic. He's like, I'm just shooting it where I want to. That's all there is to it, isn't there? I am a robot. Beep boop. <laughs> so, he see, swings a little bit lighter, it goes perfectly straight again, and it lands sure of the green. And, uh, Shintara's like, oh, it's impossible to have a swing like that on your first try. That was the most perfect swing I've ever seen, especially his balance while rotating his hips when he raises the club. And so he shoots the ball one more time, and uh, is like, oh, my God, it's like a laser beam. And it lands, like, inches away from the hole right on the green.
2: Uh, the boys are like, oh, you must have lied. You you cheated. There's no way you've never played golf. Oh, how can you do this with so little experience?
0: And Drew was like, hey, can I keep going? What? Well, I haven't actually hit the hole yet, and I've got seven shots left. And so he keeps on going, and eventually, yeah, he makes one in as he's getting closer and closer. And then he's like, okay. That's it. So, yeah, the rest of it is like, you know, Shintar reacts like, oh, how easy. So good. How can he have such a perfect swing? Uh And... Um, then the end of the chapter is uh, catching up with uh, Yozan, who's like, "I must find the perfect, the that perfect golfer because he is better than me. Who could he be?" Da, da, da. And that's the end of the chapter. Well, Chris, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I didn't care for the series at all. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, golf was a hard sell on me to begin with. I mean, even though I suggested it as one, it was still kind of hard to make it that appealing there. But more so, I. I have a lot of difficulty getting invested in a series. where the protagonist's like, characteristic is, he's monotone and boring. Like, it's just, in my own mind, I'm like, I, I can't like get behind that. I just find those sort of people in real life frustrating, so I just didn't really get too invested in this. I see yeah, why people like this. I think there's a lot of potential to this, and obviously the creator of Kuroko's Basket is going to be a very talented author. I I'd only read a little bit of it, but I still know enough to know exactly what it is but um, yeah it's just this series didn't do a whole lot for me mostly just because of the premise and the lead
0: I think it's going to be weird because yeah with someone whose char- main characteristic is that they're stoic and expressionless uh they need to have a little bit of an edge to them I think um, when like uh, there's Psyche kusono sign on and the main thing about Psyche is that yeah, he you know never changes his facial expression, but he's always got like a biting comment about someone because they're always acting weirdly around him, and he's got the internal monologue going where he's like, This guy's a complete idiot, or something like that. Hmm. There's a sharpness to it. Whereas Robo is just gonna right. go and was like, Okay. Yeah, well I wanted to make the shot. I don't like him when you're bullied. Okay, I won. We're done. Right. <laughs> Uh, people are making a note about, wasn't well, Kuroko like that? Well no, uh, Kuroko was much more, per- he definitely had that, uh, you know, quiet expressionless thing about him. His main thing, bizarrely enough, was despite being, you know, the protagonist of the series, was that people would overlook him. But you can make more jokes about that than just like, he's so dull, you know, um and robotic. And it's gonna be, that's gonna be the thing about this is seeing if that can work, I think. If it, can they actually work with the protagonist whose whole thing is that he is robotic and
2: mm-hmm.
0: inhuman with their lack of emotion? We shall see. Okay. So, uh, then we're gonna move on to the promised Neverland. Okay, so. <laughs>
1: A real light and easy chapter, I think, to pick us back up on.
0: Oh, man. This is somehow the most depressing chapter yet is chapter 31, emptiness. What a fun-sounding chapter.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we open up with Emma just reacting to Norman not being there with just this narration of it. he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Uh, she's just, you know, kind of... Seeing the different places that Norman would be throughout her day, and of course he's not there. His bed has been stripped. His chair is empty. His place in the testing room is vacant, and uh, he actually, she actually imagines his voice calling out from behind her. And of course he's not there when she turns around, and um, and she's like, you know, it's of course not just that he's gone; it's that she thinks he's dead. Uh, and you know, just to really drive it home, we get this, you know, this this title page where. Uh, where there's no life, the tree is dying, all the kids look sad. Even the ones who shouldn't know about what's going on look sad.
1: Even fucking Phil is sad. And that little fucking shithead is constant jubilation.
0: Yeah. Um, look, We see a few of the little kids talking with each other like, Oh man, Emma looks sad. Ray's sad. They must be so lonely because their friend is gone. Aww. Um And of course, Donna Gilda know the truth, but they ain't saying shit. So we get a flashback to... Presumably the most recent meeting that the four of them had without Ray, and, uh, without Norman rather, and Ray says like, I'm done. Let's, we'll just die here. And, uh, they're like, are, are you, are you sure? And he's like, it's impossible. We're surrounded by cliffs, the bridge is the, is going out of the headquarters, that's it, and I'm tired. I'm really tired. So... That's it. And like Emma tries to hand over the you know disabling device, and he's like, "I don't need it. You can have it. If you want to escape, go. I'm out. Sorry."
2: We will be friends forever. Get through this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want to do, like, Ray voice, but this feels like not the chapter
0: for it. It really doesn't. <laughs> maybe if you had baby... No. He's oh. like, maybe if you had
1: baby memories, hold on, I gotta take some Xanax and just give up on everything. like, you're all fucking, right. I'm like, a wait a minute, baby. is this Ray or is this me? <laughs> <laughs> then when did I get the show to jump, Nick?
0: And uh, so Don and Gilder are basically on kind of left, like, okay, well, Emma and Ray are barely themselves anymore, should we try and find a way out of here. Um, and Don tries to be reassuring and says, like, okay, you know, there's no point getting scared. Uh, the two of us should do our best. And uh, then we cut over to Emma, flopped over in her bed, feeling bad, saying that she can't even breathe practically because she's so depressed. She n- realizes, of course, the situation she's in, but my brain and body won't function. Norman's gone. Even Ray is. I'm alone. I, how can I escape with everyone and survive? Can I really do it all by myself? It's impossible. What do I do? I can't do it not without Norman. My leg hurts. I'm heartbroken.
1: Ah, up. It's so wake sad. Wake Wake up. Come, come. You remember that was from the Daredevil movie too, right? By the way.
0: I do not remember it being in that movie. That but, was uh, no I'll one else remember
1: this but me. <laughs> Alright, I just... No, because
0: I, nobody wants to remember the Daredevil movie, that's why.
1: But that's where that song... That's where, like, the first time I heard that song, it was from that. I don't... I don't I'm going crazy, but...
0: <laughs> well, you know, "Freaking Kiss from a Rose got a big boost from being in Batman Forever.
1: Well, that's because that's also where I remember it from. <laughs> <laughs> that song that played over the ending credits! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, the, the music video has, like, the fucking Riddler's, like, bass behind him, so... <laughs>
0: He's got the pet signal there, yeah. And one, yeah. Anyhow, um, so Isabella shows up, um, just looming over Emma. And apparently Emma didn't even hear her knocking on the door, and Isabella's like, oh, poor thing, you're in pain and suffering, and you're all alone, your wings are broken, your escape route's blocked. You must be in total despair. You will never be able to escape. Just give up. The best way to not suffer anymore... Is to give up, accept things as they are, and resign yourself. You'll feel much better. It's easy. You're suffering because you resist. Just concede. If you're interested, I'm thinking of recommending you as the candidate to be the next mom of this farm. And uh, we get some very important information from uh, her at this point, because she says if you become an adult, have a child, and prove your abilities, you can come back to this house as a mom or sister. And we even get a little flashback to Isabella, like nursing a child from what appears to be artificial insemination. Um, so the moms actually have kids.
1: Hmm. Yeah, this is the thing. And it's it's kind of interesting. It's not, that's a huge piece of information, but it's not delivered to it like it is. It's just kind of casually thrown in there as part of the process. And you don't, I mean, we're not actually seeing what could be presented to us as truth. This could just be an image of it. But the fact that she kind of mentions that's part of the process does seem to indicate that part of becoming a sister or a mom means having a kid. So the notion is mom might have a kid out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Crone yes. might have a kid out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And people I mean, are, are starting to theorize, like, maybe one of the kids in the, the facility is mom's kid. I don't think that's the case. I don't think so. I, I think it would be very detrimental for the uh organization, whatever we want to call them, the demons, to have the kids serve, like, have what, the mother actually be the mother of one of their own kids. So they probably are off in one of the different farms. But this does place a very interesting idea out there of... If maybe the reason Isabella is so connected to the kids is maybe because she has that kind of like connection with a lost child essentially that I think that
0: that's I think that that's supposed to be part of the design is that yeah. they you know give them that motherly connection and then take it away so that the mom of a place needs to replace it with something else and it would imply that Isabel is talking about, oh, you know, I care for you all as if you were my own children. This detail kind of puts it into my head that that makes it more likely that her that sentiment was genuine.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, it creates this interesting idea now where if the kids do I because I imagine you wouldn't introduce the idea that the other farms are out there and like right next to this. If the possibility wasn't going to come up that the kids might have to go to those other farms at some point, maybe during their Mm -hmm. escape or something happening, there's a real possibility that they could run into Isabella's kid or Cron's kid out there. So I, it's a huge piece of information that doesn't have a whole lot of time dwelt on it because it's kind of lost beneath the fact that it's her offering her the mom position ultimately. And by the end of the chapter, we're focused on something else. But it's this is a big piece of information, I think, to keep in mind going
0: forward. Yeah. So Isabella, you know, approaches Emma in her easily most vulnerable moment and says, you know, accept despair and free yourself from the pain, reckless idealism, a juvenile sense of justice, an impossible escape, fuel to resistance to reality. Become a mom and give all of that up. Be relieved of the pain. And Emma closed her eyes and, you know, thinks of all of her different friends in the compound and remembers, you know, the words, don't ever give up. And she just bows her head and says, that's the one thing I can't do. And Isabel's like, all right, fine. Wait, writhe in agony as you wait for death. And uh, she leaves, leaves the room. She actually, like, kind of looks at her with a kind of look of concern. And she's like, come on, there's no choice but to give up. It's the only way to stop the pain. Um, so you know, more of that weird, twisted uh love that Isabella feels for the main kids, really, and uh Emma is left curled up on her bed, clutching her head, just trying to think of something, and we go to the you know next page, we cut her just slumped up against a tree, looking freaking dead inside, thinking, I can't do anything, it is useless.' And, like, little kids are approaching her because they see just how messed up she is. They're trying to comfort her. We also see Ray slumped over in the same position in the library with, like, books scattered around him.
1: You know what? I will do the voice once because in that one shot of him in the bookcase, he's like, Yeah, I'm depressed, but I'm also posing. You guys don't understand how hard it is to be this good-looking. You sometimes just have to throw your head to the side because it's dramatic, <laughs> but oh. beautiful the same was... way. My art is pain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, Isabella thinks that she's won. She says, like, checkmate as she, you know, sees the kids seemingly having given up. And, uh, months pass, two months pass. Nick,
1: the joke's on her. She just ruined a perfectly good chess board by leaving that piece out there.
0: <laughs> they're going to play have to it borrow anymore. a piece from the checkers, and then you're going to have to figure out which piece it is, and be reminding people of it all the time as you move it around the board.
1: And kids are always going to fight because they don't want to have to play the side that has the
0: one piece that's missing, use a checker piece. And then they're going to just, like, use the ch- chess pieces as checkers anyway because most of them are too stupid and young to understand how chess works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's this horsey piece do? Patink.
0: This one does a helicopter, right? No! <laughs> sure, whatever. Uh, Emma approaches Ray in the middle of the night. He's by himself in the dining area. And uh, it, Ray's like, Yeah, this is my last chance. I'm saying goodbye to the house. And it was like, Oh, yeah, it's your birthday tomorrow. And Ray's like, Yep, it's the last night, because uh, tomorrow I'm being chipped out. And uh, they look at each other, and Ray says, Hey, Emma. Did you really give up? You haven't actually given up right and Emma gets the creepiest smile on her face that that's some voodoo
1: shit going on right
0: there as the chapter ends
1: <laughs> you know Nick I uh, I fancy myself a bit of a hipster okay um, it's not something I, I, I would say I take pride in but I do enjoy aspects of it. And I'm going to say right now, I think the aspect I enjoy right now most of anything is as a manga hipster, being able to be like, I love that we get to enjoy The Promised Neverland before it inevitably becomes an anime and everyone starts gushing about it then. Because it's going to happen. This series is fantastic. And it's going to get an anime at some point, and people are immediately going to realize how excellent this series is. And it's nice just to be able to enjoy this moment where like ninety percent of the world doesn't know about this thing, and we're like, yeah, we get to enjoy this.
0: I mean, I I did, I do remember when um, when My Hero Academia, you know, like got announced as anime. I think I posted on Twitter like, "Hey, read the manga now so that you can so that you can enjoy it before it was cool because you don't have much time (laughs) before everyone's going to love it." Um, But yeah, this is definitely one of those things where, one of those kind of series where it's not, you know, an instant, this is definitely going to get an anime thing, but you can just tell that it's done so well that it feels like it would be wrong for not to get one. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: yeah, that moment where it's it's just such an unexpected chapter overall, because despite (sighs) this horrible situation that these kids have been in for all this time, they... I've never shown that like sense of giving up before and uh, to see them like just wallowing in despair for a bit really brings you down in a way that like the rest of the series somehow hasn't because despite everything that was up against them, they still had that very can do attitude of, you know, we'll get through this together every single twist and turn, every single setback they had, they were like, okay, we're going to figure something out and we'll get through this. And, you know, you, you take one part out and seemingly things fall apart and then you're left with that one tease right at the end of, no, no, they've still got something going on.
1: Hmm. It's just an awesome kind of development to go through here. And one of the better kind of ways I've seen a manga display somebody going through... What was, what was the TV trope? Blue Screen to Death, I think it was called, or something like that?
0: Heroic, Heroic BSOD, yeah. Yeah,
1: so it's that notion of like a hero who's hit their wall, and actually portraying it like it feels like that. Where it's them laying around in bed, and laying around just doing nothing, because they just feel like yeah. everything's useless. She goes us. outside
0: for playtime, but she just slumps up against a tree and doesn't do anything.
1: And I guess it's implied that all of this is kind of, I guess they're un- being unreliable narrators and they've never actually given up per se, or maybe at some point they got over it and were just faking. Because that's what the ending seems to imply. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's Ray saying, you never actually did. She's like, I guess I didn't. or uh, it's, It definitely seems to imply that they've been both faking in some way. Um, mm-hmm. But just the fact that they portray it as what feels like a very relatable form of, like, depression that's just hit these kids. They've just given up on everything at that point, where you're like, yeah, this feels like there's weight to this, you know. It definitely is very sad to see them like this. You'd, and it's almost, it's not even, like, a prominent scene, but I don't know why, it breaks my heart so much in that one scene of Emma laying against a tree and it's the kids coming her, and you can see the Phil's, like, trying. reached up, hugging her, and it's like, yeah. oh come on, dude, you can't do this to me.
0: Yeah, they see that she's sad. And they don't know why, so they're just trying to comfort her because, yeah, that's going they do. Yeah. Great chapter. Depressing as hell, but great chapter. Yeah. Okay, that brings us to
2: the seven deadly sins.
1: Seven deadly sins. Chapter 211. He who says goodbye... So last time we're, we're still in this weird flashback thing where Diane. We're still and in King, Quantum Leap. Yeah. King and Diane are in this body and they're going back to a time when Gauthr and Melodius were still part of the Ten Commandments and things like that. Most prominently Gauthr. And it's basically King and Diane kind of having a discussion to Gauthr about different things and kind of. Trying to talk with him at the same time, like, recognizing, like, you know, he doesn't actually know the stuff we do, but we're trying to explain to you who we are, and, like, while we're wasting time here, more magic's disappearing, like, a big fight's happening, so we need you to, like, fix stuff here. They cut around to a whole bunch of different areas, and it's brought up that he's the one who erased Diane's memories. Shocker. Uh Presumably he just did it to be a dick. But they know, like, when Diane starts begging him in the giant's body to give me back my memories. I do love that, like, King has to be like, no, he did do it, but, like, 300 years in the future. So
0: he doesn't know anything about it now. Well, and also King to out says, we come from the land of Britannia 3,000 years in the future. And it's up to you whether or do you believe that or not. And is just like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's like, that's amazing. We then cut away. And Nick, is, I feel, really odd. I feel we picked what may be the best and worst time to jump back into Seven Deadly Sins. Because we cut back to uh, Meliscera, or whatever her name is, the one who's trying to summon the gateway to hell. And she opens the demon's gate. And she's like, wait a minute, this isn't right, this isn't the gate to the demon world. What have I summoned? This isn't what I intended. Gauther you used me! And her mouth rips open and she's screaming like, This isn't a prison of the demon world, isn't it? And a hand just shoots out and grabs her on the face is like, Quiet now. You'll draw the demon's lord attention to us. And a guy in a wheelchair starts to roll out. He's like, It's been 500 years since I've been outside. Who is this mysterious figure, Nick? This person who's been imprisoned in the demon world. I'm I'm Gowther. And we start actually seeing the version of Gowther we know and this new person speaking simultaneously in two different locations about how the outside world is very different and how they can hear all the different emotions. And this explosion of emotion is a work of art. And... He even notes, like, this holy war doesn't matter. I honestly couldn't care less. A blind believer like you probably wouldn't even try to understand, but for 500 years I've been given the Ten Commandments of Thou Shalt Not Covet and been robbed of my freedom. I've only been able to experience the outside through this doll I created called Gauther, which then makes me believe, like, is he not Gauther? Like, did he name the doll after himself? I don't know. But he says i will now say goodbye to this world bye bye and that's the end there and in my mind i'm like nick did we just come into the series as it got its eisen
0: cuz i'm getting <laughs> strong ass eisen feelings from this guy right now <laughs> well i don't know about that because it says specifically at the end to be continued in the side story the doll seeks love possibly
1: but just the notion of this seemingly super-powerful presence, or I don't know if he's maybe super-powerful, but just this this person who seems to be beyond everything. I, I got there's just been a fucking lot of shit, is what I'm saying. Like, he's a seven deadly sin, he's a ten commandment, he's also been, a real version of him's been prisoned to the side world uh he's erasing people's memories at the same time he's he seems to be all knowing of these things it doesn't seem to be shocked by any information he gets i just feel like this is going to be the eisen of this series where you're like this dude is way too confident in everything he's way too fucking talented like i'm just terrified of this and he had a chair too that's also unnerving he has a chair a power i don't think he's going to be like professor x like the good kind of person in a chair he'd be the bad kind like eisen (laughs) But I like this chapter, more or less. I just, I'm very curious to see what this new Gauther is actually like. I mean, this these are all events that have already happened. Yes. So maybe this dude really does just kind of disappear, but I can't imagine they would just introduce the real Gauther to not actually have him come up in a more substantial way. So I could see this impacting the story going forward. I don't really know, honestly. I do have to love that one note though of like, the explosion of emotion is a work of art! <sighs> I feel like that's a ray line right there just in a different series. <laughs>
0: Oh, the explosion of emotion is a work of art. Explosion. You would appreciate it if you studied emotion, like, as much as I do.
1: I have a degree in emotionology. That's what we call <laughs> the new brave frontier science of studying emotions, of which I have thousands that you can't comprehend. You know, if you don't have baby memories, you don't form them at a young enough age. I have super happiness. I never experience it because that's, that's trite and mundane, but you still don't know what it is either. So, yeah, that's Seven Deadly Sins. Um, I think we'll have to see what goes on here. But, yeah, apparently we also have to see a side novel at some point or a side story. <laughs>
0: It'll just uh, somehow cross over with the Black Clover side story. <laughs> Speaking of Black Clover... Yeah, it's the perfect transition. Page 102, Asta's Day Off of Black Clover. Uh so I, I guess we can't actually call out the series for putting Yuno in the character roster because, well, there he is on the cover page. <laughs>
2: he is technically in this chapter. <laughs>
0: um, so uh, we open with Yami saying, uh, "You guys have been doing a lot of shit in the last couple of arcs, so you're gonna go do. You're gonna go do take a break and uh, have a not very action-heavy uh, few chapters because you've been working too hard." And, uh, Asta's
2: like, how can you do this to me?
0: And I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, Asta actually specifically says, if you take my missions from me, what will I have left? To which Yami says, muscles. You got him there. Um, so as it turns out, well, I guess we should go through this. So all the different people who went off on their missions to try and find ways to restore Asta's arms come back, and it's a string of of jokes that are all done the same way, which is, they're like, hey Asta, we're back! And the person shows up, and they're massively changed. So, uh, Luck and Magnus show up, and they're surging with overwhelming power, and for some reason, Magnus' hair has fallen down to this, like, emo cut, and he's got like, put it part back into, like, his weird mohawk. Um, And they're like, "I'm sorry, Asta. We didn't find a way to fix your arms. My arms are fixed. All right, good job." And you know, freaking.
1: It's worth noting that all these scenes, too, like if you flip through the pages, have essentially the same layout to them. Yeah, almost exactly. Yeah, it's just like the first thing is them showing up, Asta with the same Asta, well, with the same expression, just reacting differently. Then each of the two of them showing how they are. Asta then saying, "But I fixed my arms." And then all of them almost basically reverting back to the way they were and, uh, I don't know, getting excited about us to being back.
0: I like that. So, yeah, Ga- Gauch and, uh, what's his name? Yeah, have turned into otaku from their time studying. Uh, and, uh, Gaush, uh and so they're like dressed up in super nerdy outfits. Gauch is even like carrying like collectible plastic figures around. Um, yeah. Uh, and then Gray and Charmy show up and they're covered in mushrooms, especially Charmy, because she takes, keeps on plucking the mushrooms off of herself to eat them. And so that causes more to grow up and, ugh. um, yeah.
1: I guess Gra- Gray can't transform because of the mushrooms. Cause she says I, I can't so. transform. I guess the mushrooms would always be on her anyway.
0: They're magic mushroom parasites. I guess they're sapping their mana. Gotcha. You know, and, you know, Charmy, of course, is caught in in an eternal loop because she's like, and each time she rips a mushroom off, three more go in its place. Um, And they're like, "Uh, I'm sorry, we didn't find a way to fix your arms. And NASA's like, yeah, I I, I guess you would. Yeah. And then Yami says that he's going to dock their pay for the time they were gone. Dick. <laughs>
1: you know what? I love that. At least the other two were actually like, it seemed like they were doing things to improve themselves. These fuckers just got lost in the woods and got infected with mushrooms. <laughs>
0: uh, and, uh, so I was like, anyway, there's a festival going on. And, uh, you know, and so we get a, an as you know explanation from Venera like, oh, you know, remember the stars of the Magic Knight Brigades gets. Uh, and there's a social event where they announced the number of stars won from April to the end of the following March, then determine the top brigade for that year. Um, and, uh, it's established, of course, that, yeah, you know, last year the Black Bulls got, like, negative 50. But, uh, they did say that they worked them all off uh, since Asta got there, so they presumably done much better this, this year. Um... Yami says, the, so it's called the Star Festival. Yami gets in, like, traditional, like, Japanese festival garb, like, complete with a with a, with a a fan and stuff. Like, he's going to Oban. Um, and they're like, okay, I guess oh, we're going. Oh,
1: that's the butt of his cigarette. I thought he just lost a tooth. I was like, what? Is that part of the stereotype to be missing a tooth in the front?
0: I mean, c- cigarettes are bad for your teeth.
1: How the fuck does that cigarette stay in his mouth right
0: now? He just kind of, like, wedges it between the teeth on either side of the gap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like the PC hat. How does this stay on? It's like, the world's never meant to know that answer. Uh,
0: so we get a shot of uh, the Black Bulls arriving at the festival. Uh, you know, they've got, like, magic floating lanterns and people flying around on broomsticks and stuff. Uh, there's a couple of guys who look like they're coming out of frickin' Cinderella's Ball with the way that they're dressed, though. look kind of weird. And uh, Asta gets all Julie- julie-eyed for a bit. Um, the crowd starts to disperse, and you know, like you know, Venice is like, "I want booze," and Jeremy's like, "I want food." And uh, then uh, they look over, and oh, hey, Kahono and Kiato are here. And uh, of course, Noel and Asta are really happy to see their friends. Um, it looks like. Because Finral's standing next to them, so I think the implication is that he actually went off and brought them here, which yeah. is, which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I think there's a a line he has right before that. Um, yeah, he says, uh, "Excuse me, Mister Finral." Oh, just- yeah. oh yeah, As- As- asked, asked him, him to bring
0: them. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, Kiato's like, "Ah, oh, Asta, it's nice to see you and my beautiful sea goddess," which nobody really says anything, and it's. So Kona, like, you know, sees, like, a guy on a magic carpet singing with, you know, singing with the lute. And, uh, they're like, oh, right, we're injured. And, uhm, is like, Kiyato, did you bring your leg? And, he's just carrying it around in a jar. <laughs> Ugh. And, uh, so Asu's just like, okay. He just un- un- uncaps the beaker of the bloody recovery magic that the Witch Queen gave him, and, boop, they're healed. Yay. I mean I understand that this type of magic is actually supposed to be rare, but when they just kind of put in a beaker like, and we'll use this to help our friends too, it's it's like they have sensu beans, honestly.
1: It is weird. Have we seen magic in this world ever be like compressed and made like available with in- potions and things like that before? Like, before this or any other, like, instance of someone being like, I'll put my, you know, whatever magic into this vial and, like, give it to you that way. It always seemed like you had to cast it from your book, but I guess... I can't think of it,
0: but... Um, so, like, does this
1: imply that whoever's holding I mean, they, they, the have, magic... they have magic...
0: I they have magic shops, uh, you know, because Noel got a wand from one of them, so...
1: I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious what the implications of all this are. I guess it's just whoever's holding the potion gets to control Maybe it. Maybe it'll
0: you be know? like that plot of Boruto where he can put spells into capsules and just...
1: Maybe, you
0: know? Um Kahono is, uh, voices cured and she, you know, immediately starts to sing an enchanting melody and, and everyone's like, oh, that's really nice and, and, uh, they're like, all right, yeah, well, now well, let's enjoy the festival together. And then Kahano was like, Oh, hey, Noel, Asta, Kiyoto, let's have a double date. And so. Who are Noelle you dating? Are like, eh, <laughs>
1: isn't that your brother well, or and cousin?
0: <laughs> um, cause little behind them, you know, reacts cause it's like, well, of course, because he's like, oh, how dare you find love without me? You know, um, but Asta also says, um, What's that? In a tiny little word bubble. And, like, you you, you went on a group date before. He got that. He
1: doesn't understand the double date portion of it.
0: I guess that they are technically different terms, because I think that they didn't go on a triple date. They went to a mixer. Yeah. But still, it's like, you have been on a date. (laughs) You've been on a group date, so...
1: And it's not as... It's not as though he's oblivious to the idea of love either, because we know he has the hots for his sister. (laughs) Hang on (laughs) a sec, That came (laughs) out weird. The sister. At his parish orphanage thing.
0: But yeah, like who raised him him as his mother would have, so maybe it is weird. (laughs) You know what? There's a lot of issues here. But no, like he has that, so it's not as though like
1: he's like naive or like just so dumbfounded with the world he can't comprehend it, but yeah, there's just this weird notion of sometimes just gains like crippling stupidity at moments right, <laughs> where he's just like a bath what's that
2: <laughs> Will it help me get bigger muscles?, <laughs> oh, man. what the hell is one of these? a cup. <laughs>
0: Why don't you just, you know, use use your feet to drink like I do? Just, like, trying to scoop water into his mouth with his foot. Why don't you at least use your hands?
1: (laughs) So don't you just slam your hands at this and keep throwing it at your face over and over again till you get the water? (laughs) Till you've conquered it like a foe?
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Um... So, yeah, I, I guess Kahano is, like, picking up on, oh, yeah, my brother's got a super obvious crush on Noel, so I'll try and wing-girl him on this. Um, and, uh yeah. So, I guess that's where we get to... I mean, the last time that there was, like, group dating in Black Clover, it was one of the chapters that really endeared the series to us, so I hope that the next one is going to be amusing as well.
1: I'd like to note... Kato and uh Sahano, whatever, showed back up.
0: <laughs> Completely different from uh, what their names are.
1: Kiato and Kahono, they showed back up. There you go. You know who's not there? Rebecca. Because she's not going to be an important character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's asked his first date, so he's going to remember his time on the mixer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Good, just, I'm but sure. She'll,
1: but she'll never come back again.
0: Never be important. All right. Uh, let's, uh, okay. Uh, it's just one piece now then. Yeah. So let's wrap things up with chapter 859 emperor assassination plan. Um, so last time we had, uh, Capone's group meeting up with the straw hats. Uh, things almost got into a, a scuffle because Luffy was insisting on punching Capone for hurting pick'ems, uh, so, they bring up a point, Sanji specifically brings up the point of, okay, how are we going to actually carry out a plan to assassinate Big Mom? She's like a blimp made of steel.
1: I Which, mean, he, he's not wrong.
0: He's not wrong, because he's, yes, but it's weird. Um, So, yeah, everyone brings up, okay, yeah, this is going to be very difficult. What the hell are we even going to do? Like, how can we actually kill her even if we get past the guards? And so, Komon's like, oh, all right here, I can have Big Mom dead in five seconds Uh, and his lizard, his chameleon uh, guy is like, oh yeah, I mean we need to create a five second opportunity of the party, which is going to prove difficult 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 a lot and uh, so Kabon's like, yes, if this actually turns into a confrontation, like a group battle then we're going to not have a chance of killing Big Mom. And uh, so our plan begins with, with the capture of Caesar here. And Caesar Cloud's like, no, I'm Gastino! <laughs> <laughs> you can't call me that in front of Big Mom! <laughs> and uh, he, sa- he says, um, look, remember the deal here. You're going to give me my heart back and send me free after this is done. Otherwise, I'm going to kill your son. You got that? And uh, so Capone's wife is like, "Hey, don't get paranoid now, Gasico. Beige is a man of his word. I'm not Gasico. I'm Gastino." <sighs> why is he so
1: particular about this? I don't uh, care. Because uh, he he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. He's a mystery.
0: He's an. <laughs> why don't they just? But if he, why doesn't he just let them call him Gasico if they're going to call him that? Whatever. Um, but he introduces that he's just got these fucking bazookas. Poison gas gel launchers. The XX launcher. And uh, he's like, one of them will work. I've got two of his backups. It's my most brilliant diabolical weapon ever. And he starts to really go into full-on mad scientist mode. Like, he's walked away from the table and is freaking out over there. He's like, a full five-gram dose of g- glorious organophosphate gas. I'm like, okay, anyway, lethal weapon. We're going. We're it <laughs> And, uh, so Capone says, even with that though, no needle can break Big Mom's hardy skin. Won't, you won't find many weapons in the world that can harm her. So, uh, instead we've got two conditions necessary for the launcher to do its job properly. We need to make sure no one can stop us for five seconds, and Mama's body has to be weakened. Uh, and so they're like, oh great, we just gotta weaken her body. Perfect. And Capone's like, ah, it's okay though. Uh I can get those conditions to come about at the tea party. And uh so and there's a little bit of a moment because his son starts to cry because he raises his voice and he's like, Oh, I saw we were doing ya and then he goes back into the plan and he's still baby talking while he's doing it for a second before he catches himself. It's a fun funny little detail. Yeah. Um Well yeah. He says, I've been working under mama for over a year and she never gets wounded, no matter what's going on. When she's destroying towns, when she's sinking ships, taking bullets and explosions, she does not get scratched. And that steel blimp comparison, yeah, it's actually really appropriate. Um, and, uh, but I have seen it happen once. And, uh, it's like, it has to do with Mother Carmel's picture. At every tea party in the seat across from Mama, there is a picture placed before an open seat. No one is allowed to sit there. Mama considers this her most precious treasure. A picture of Mother Carmel. That is Mama's one weakness. It seems that Mama owes her some kind of great personal debt, but otherwise, she is a mystery. Apparently, she just went missing one day, and at one tea party, a waiter accidentally dropped Mother Carmel's picture, and her reaction was stunning. Her face went pale. She louded a tremendous scream like I've never heard before. It was a different kind of fit than when she has her hunger pangs. It was all we could do to cover our ears and protect our eardrums. Some people flopped right over and passed out. So, all this happened because, yeah, a picture fell over. And that's it. So, that's the moment when she'll be vulnerable. So, Capone's plan is to actually cause her an even greater shock. She'll... They'll split the picture in two during the tea party, make her grow weak during that five seconds where she's helpless. They'll use the KX launcher—is it KX or XX? Whatever the KX launcher—and uh, poison her with it and and uh, kill her. And that'll uh, be it. And uh, Chopper points out though, it's like okay, but she used, she screamed though, and people got paralyzed uh, when she did that. So will that paralyze us? And Komodo's like. Ah no, we have these the Invisible Symphonia System What earplugs? Earplugs <laughs> I do
2: love like
1: <laughs> the selling mat.
0: Um so yeah, that's the main plan. And uh Luffy's like, oh okay, well and if uh breaking the picture's gonna cause all that chaos, we can use that chance to save Sanji's family. Ekapon's like, oh, no, we are going to need every last one of those seconds to enact this plan. You're gonna have three seconds between the breaking of the picture and Mama's fit. If you can survive for three seconds before she starts up, surrounded by the furious Big Mom pirates, then you'd still be having a, experiencing a miracle there. And, uh, you've got to be the one to actually survive that. I need you to be a distraction. And, uh, Nami is like, ah, how
2: dare you use Luffy as bait? And then he's like,
0: okay. Plus, I've thought of a really cool way to make my appearance.
1: <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I love how on board Luffy is with this immediately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so... Luffy is like, okay, then, uh, I know what the signal is, right? It's gonna be when Sanji smooches pudding, and Sanji's like, no, she's not actually going to kiss me. That's when she'll be shooting me, and I'll have to dodge the bullets! (laughs) That's the signal. (laughs) Um... I like how nonchalant Sanji is about I'll have to dodge the bullet as compared to, no, we're not gonna kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, that's it. That's the plan. The party will be paralyzed, Luffy does the saving, we'll do the killing, it's gotta happen in ten seconds at most, and that's when the idiot arrives, and Caesar Clot's like, Yes, that's when I like, wait! <laughs> Hold on a moment. <laughs> And CJ Crowns like, yes, I I can fly, so I'll burst onto the scene with my trusty sidekick here, carrying a mirror for the purpose of escape. And freaking everyone's still like treating uh Brûle as as like being complicit in this plan, and she's still objecting to this, like, yes, my trusty sidekick. So yeah.
1: She's just been uh like tied up and dragged along with these guys for like
0: a day and a half now. <laughs> Sitting in on their plan. <laughs> So, uh, that's essentially everything laid out, uh, there. And, uh, they say at the end, uh, you know, Capone says, uh, once we're on our boats, the partnership is over. We reach on our own to escape Big Mom's territory. So best of luck. And, uh, they start hanging in their own directions because Sonny's got to get back to his bedroom, uh, so that they can prepare him for the ceremony, uh, as they're getting ready to go on their own, because Capone's like, yeah, we've got to get security moving. Luffy says, hey Beige, I've got a question. When I make my funny entrance, it's like, why, why are you so concerned about this? We're gonna die. <laughs> I like how Luffy wants to make a big entrance and is very concerned about it because, I don't know, I feel a great, I feel a great empathy for that kind of feeling. You know, when you've got like a really, a, a small detail that you want to come across as great as possible and it misses the entire main point for why the contest exists for it to begin with. <sighs> um, we cut around the island to a few different places there's a guy who looks like a peanut version of Tamago that kind of distracted me um, we see uh, you know the Vinsmokes uh, preparing getting ready to uh, head off to the wedding uh, and uh they make a note of the fact that Raju is missing, and they're like, ah, oh, I guess he's so making preparations somewhere else. Um And uh, then we cut over up to Big Mom's room, where she's upset that Brooke is apparently dead. Like,
2: <laughs>
0: she's like, my cute little skeleton is dead! And her, you know, minions are like, oh, I, we know it's sad, Mama, but the big party's today. And she's like, <laughs> oh, wedding cake just throws it away! <laughs> just, Fuck
1: this thing! Whee!
0: <laughs> oh, and, uh, we close the chapter going into Pudding's room. And, uh, her, her own little minions are like, why, why are you so depressed? And, uh, they're like, why are you so sad? And she's like, well, you know, after I killed that idiot Sanji, I'm gonna have blood all over it. And also, I'm gonna have to go around erasing everyone's memories so that I can go back to being a good girl. It's the pain. Mm. It's an awkward moment to end the chapter on, but, uh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you get
1: more of a sense of just, like, the depths of evil that this character is. So, it's nice to kind of get a little bit It more is an
2: interesting that.
0: detail, yeah, where she's just like, uh, it's going to suck so much, in," you know, moving everyone's memories and getting blood out of this awesome dress. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh yeah. It was very much a transitional kind of chapter. Um It was very similar to the previous one, but not nearly as many laughs to be found in it, uh, I felt. So, it's really just... Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a necessary chapter to get to this plan, so. Yeah. It's perfectly fine. I look forward to everything going wrong when they attempt to put this plan to action because there's no way in hell this is going off without a hitch. Yeah. Alright, well, uh, let's, uh, close things up. Um, let's name our favorites for this week. Uh, start things off with a favorite series of the week.
2: Favorite uh, chapter.
1: So there was some, some brood contenders attenders this week. And I don't think mm-hmm. I'm going with the one most people are. Uh, my favorite chapter is Week is Hands Down, Dr. Stone. That was <clears throat> an incredible chapter that immediately just had me like 100% on board with that series. Uh, even more so than I already was, but just had me more excited about that than probably anything else. I just loved the way it was executed, how ridiculously silly, but awesome it was at the same time. It's just a feeling that hasn't been replicated per se other series in a while, so I was really, really a big fan of that chapter.
2: I'm going with
0: Dr. Stone as well. I was uh, really, really pleased by it from beginning to end. Um, it sets this pace for itself that keeps up through the whole chapter, uh, zany action, uh, over the top introduction for a character, you get a cool moment and you get a bunch of funny moments uh, throughout the whole thing. So you've actually picked Dr. Stone as your favorite chapter like every week.
1: Yeah, I realized and that, right. it, it, and it's it's weird because I enjoy it definitely more now than too when I the, like the first week it came out. So I was a really big fan of that series. So inevitably, never see it again. It'll end and jump after eighteen, t- uh, like sixteen chapters, and uh you know, I'm just I I
0: will so retire from manga forever.
1: <laughs> I'll be hit by a meteor actually to make it more final, and uh, everything I touch just withers and dies like everything. So you know, pretty much standard
0: course. Uh, the Promise Neverland won the audience poll, and I totally get that. Uh, it's a different cha- kind of chapter, but it is definitely very good, and it's it's enthralling. Uh, honestly. It really pulls you in and uh, makes you feel for the characters that you that we've you know, grown to love so much. But I have also gone with Dr. Stone for all the same reasons that you did. Uh, just a hugely entertaining chapter, a great introduction to a character, and uh, it really feels like it's got this great... Unique feeling to it, uh, that sets it apart from yep. the other stuff that's running right. right now, and I really want to see more. Yeah, absolutely. Favorite character? character um, uh,
1: I'm gonna go with uh, Emma from Promised Neverland. I think this is a really great chapter for her. I, I considered going with the, uh, the, the strongest primate, but, uh, Emma, yeah. Emma was just great for just following along with that journey, and that face at the end is just mm-hmm. beyond
0: words. Uh, I also strongly considered, uh, considered her, but I end up going with Kino Kuni from Food Wars because a uh, great uh, introduction for her. I always love whenever an important opponent in Food Wars gets that really big, over-the-top introduction, going over their history and really making it seem like they're a god in this world, and uh, it was a really funny joke, so I liked the payoff to the build-up, so that's it. Hmm. All right, guys, we are going to call it here. So thank you, everyone, for joining us here on hitbox.tv slash or twitch.tv slash RoloT. We simulcast on both streams starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, usually on Wednesdays. Uh, and uh, sometimes, though, we do need to change things up, change, move the day of the recording or whatever, uh, in order to accommodate in our schedules. And uh, you can keep up with all that stuff by following us on Twitter, uh at the memoir podcast is the official account for the podcast, and the hosts can be found at RoloTine at Y Roller of Time, so give us a follow please. You can check out our past episodes on Wikimonrecap.pobby dot com. You can also subscribe eh, subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and make sure to leave a comment or rating on those, especially iTunes, because if you do so, you can help us in our never ending struggle to defeat the woodworking podcasts in the hobby section.
1: And they are quite tough.
0: If you want to send us feedback, ask us a question for us to answer on a Q&A episode or suggest a future manga for us to read, you can send all that stuff via email to weeklymongerecap at yahoo.com. We have, we always get every email that we get, so that is the best place to send it because then we can always refer to it. It's a lot more difficult to keep up with comments and stuff, although we do listen to your feedback there too. Hmm. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You guys allow us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And uh, we really appreciate every to, little bit.
1: Yes. Uh, special thanks, by the way, to Silva Rerum and Alex Downs for being new patrons. Thank
0: you very much. And last but not least, thank you to the guys who help us make the podcast what it is, especially visually. Infamous Planet creates the frame for us. And Steve Mann does our tile cards. You can check out his work in a bunch of different places uh be forewarned. His Patreon, patreon.com slash Steve Man. It's gonna have some age restricted content on there, so beware what you're getting into, but it's a great artist and we appreciate the work he does for us.
1: Indeed. I think uh next week then we're probably gonna be doing uh Blue Exorcist, so we'll have to wait and see if he has uh, a, a very cheesecakey Blue Exorcist <laughs> title card
2: for us. We'll see.
1: But yeah, I think that's uh I think that's gonna do it. Um what do we what do we wanna end with? Do we wanna maybe like um Let's end with our dreams for the future, Nick. Tell me your hopes and dreams. Um. um oh man, don't put me on the spot like this. <laughs> no, perfectly fine. We don't have any hopes and dreams. Goodbye, everybody.
2: Bye.